You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I mostly, I'm saying mostly because I sometimes do solo episodes, I mostly have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into their life journey, not just the shiniest and newest things that happen in their life, but like really getting into the details, even starting from when they were a kid most of the time. I like knowing about the twists, the turns, the different choices they made, doubts and fears. This is with the hopes that it gives you more compassion in your own life, more, you know, the empowers you to make choices that you want to make, to make changes, to not feel like you're too late or you're too early or not doing things right, to empower you to do your life your way right now in this moment and forevermore. On today's episode, I'm doing something I've never done. I am re-airing a previously, not just recorded, but previously shared episode. So this was actually the first guest episode, which was episode two and three. We talked for so long that I split it into two episodes. Um, and it was really like the first episode because the first episode was just me saying like, hi, I'm starting a podcast. Woohoo. <laughs> and talking a little bit about that journey. I'm resharing it as one episode now. So yes, it's very long, but I'm sure you have figured out by now, if you are an avid podcast listener, you can hit pause and then keep on re-listening to it throughout your day. Or maybe you're going to stay in it for the whole thing. Who knows? I hope you enjoy it. I'm resharing it now because one, Jason is about, oh, did I say it was with Jason Mraz? It's with Jason Mraz, who is my longtime Well, you're going to hear about our relationship in the episode. Uh, I think, yeah, we go into that. Uh, I started working with Jason back in 2006, I believe. Wow. In July of 2006. Maybe that's why I'm sharing it right now, July, 15 years ago, we first started working together. I'm going to have to send him a text. And remind him of that and send him a picture. When this episode goes live, I'm going to share you guys some pictures from July of 2006. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so he's going back on tour to support his album that came out last year, but he couldn't tour obviously last year because of COVID. Look for the good. He's taken my water bottles on stage, I believe, because I see them in rehearsals. Um, so you're now going to be able to reorder those in the shop. Thanks to him. But you know what? I was like, let's re-air this episode. Also, because I realized that the podcast platforms kind of like once you hit a hundred episodes, then they sort of take off the oldest ones when you add new ones. So you can't find this one anymore. And I don't want that. I want people to be able to find this episode. So I'm going to start re-sharing some old ones. It also helps me in my life right now with my move, getting settled in, doing my book edits, doing life. That's one more thing I don't have to think about recording new episodes. So new ones will be coming. I'm still going to throw in some solo ones, but yay, let's re-listen. Or maybe you never heard this episode because you just found me or whatever it is. I'm going to reshare this opposite and more to come. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe, leave a review. I seriously love reviews so much and they help the podcast that I send you a gift You send that review in, screenshot it, send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com, and I will send you a gift from my product line, okay? Mean it. So listen, subscribe, leave a review, listen and listen and take what we say to heart, and I hope it empowers you and inspires you. 
And if it does, share about the episode, tag me at underscore Trisha Huffman at Claim It Podcast at Jason underscore Moraz, I think he is, tag us. All right, let's get into the episode. Okay. Check. Good call. I am number, you're one. I'm three. Number one. Yeah. Looking good. Even if I'm loud, it still doesn't really get to the peak level, which is nice. Yeah. But most of the time, I'm pretty quiet. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking there's not going to be, hopefully, too many opportunities where you're going to be getting to the peak level. You never level. know. There is. But you get to the peak level. I'm, you yeah. have that. You, why don't you test your peak yeah. level out? This is true, because it could just be with the... <laughs> Give it a... Yeah. <laughs> Give it one of those. Ha! <laughs> ha! <laughs> I think we'll be okay. You can always put it through a compressor yeah. limiter later. There And there's apparently some internal ones. Okay. We all have a lot of internal things. We're all we're here today to actually talk about our internal limiters, aren't we? <laughs> we are so we here sure are. to talk about our internal so, limiters. So uh, before we begin, I'd just like to address that you did pull off the glossy screen protector from your recording device, and it is official. You have now entered podcast season. It's official, and I loved that moment. I looked at him, and I was like, ripped it off with intention, like this. What did I say? This is mine now. I, I don't know what I said. I was like, it's official. It's official. <laughs> Can't send it back. Yeah. I'm committed to this new thing I'm doing, but I don't know what I'm doing. This, I'm keeping this gadget. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but it feels good. Yeah, you're doing great. I'm loving it. And that's a part of also what these conversations are about, talking about why and how you started things and why and how you keep going, because... What I've mentioned to you before, which I'm going to be talking about in one of my I Call Bullshit videos, is yeah. that about the quote. How you do anything. Is that, that one? one? No, you changed it on me. Not that one. The choose. No, we talked about that another one first. Okay. Choose job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, okay. Right. So talking about, hey. Sure. I do also call bullshit on that. It's a beautiful thought. Yeah. But there's always going to be aspects of your dream, amazing, most amazing life job that are going to feel like work. Oh, yeah. And that you're, like, even if you're doing what you so love, you're not always going to be like jumping out of bed. Exactly. <laughs> Life's awesome. Yeah. So that's why I'm here to talk to you. Oh, cool. you want to start with that? Because <laughs> uh, why not? We're there. Sure. Let's go ahead and start with that. What do you think about that quote and what I say? Well, I love that quote. My dad told me that when I was in high school working next to him at a fence company. He's like, son, do something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, it was cliche right out of Parenting 101. And we were digging holes. I was cleaning up a job site. And my dad knew I was good at singing and loved to do it. And so I did it. He gave me permission to just go and do that. And that felt great. And there's been hundreds of times where I was like, oh man, I didn't think this was going to be a real job. I can't believe this is a job. Um, so going on what you're saying, do something you love, you never work a day in your life. It's quite the opposite. Living your dream is hard work, but it's very rewarding because the effort is the gift. The effort is the reward. The doing of your dream the being your dream is the reward. It's not someday when my bank account has this in it or someday when I have this many trophies or great reviews. No, the whole point was you selected something that was your favorite thing and you chose to do it daily to make ends meet. And it's a blast. 
But yeah, it's also scary because there's no one else out there to sort of base it on, base on the how-to. You know, there's people in your field, but no one's done it like you. No one has your exact same resources. No one has your exact same energy level, uh, sleep patterns, diet, body type, vocal range, interests. I mean, there are so many details that make yours uniquely you. So there's, there's really no one else you can compare yourself to. So sometimes you feel very alone and lost mm. in your field. Because you're like, oh my gosh, I chose my favorite thing to be my job. And, mm. and how do I do that? Where is my value and where are my strengths? How am I going to cut through in this entrepreneurial market of life or the capitalist life that we live in the Western world? You know, how are all these crafts and talents that I've chosen going to help me make my ends meet? So yeah, it becomes very, very uh, work-ish yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And when you were first starting to go down that, talk about this and, you know, after your dad and that quote, and you were like, wow, this is my job, or like, this is work. I wasn't sure if you were saying like, wow, this is what I get to do. This is my job, which is also probably amazing. And that has come up so many times. But also, I think you might have ended, what it turned into is that you're like, oh, I chose to do this thing that I love. And this is a job that I should show up for every day. And I love it. But it is a job. Yeah. Well, I think you, you summed it up right there when you say a uh, job. We are all forced to work. Mm -hmm. We wake up in a capitalist society where money equals survival. And we have to do something to participate in order to get the basic needs, food, water, shelter. Yeah. So no matter what we do, it's going to cause suffering. And choosing something you love is is amazing because it will make the job easier but it is still a job yeah. it is still competitive and not just competitive with the world it's competitive with yourself and how you view your work and the value of your work or where you think you're supposed to be at a certain time yeah and that's what i you know and when i will go into that quote in and in that video and what i talk to clients and stuff about is that yes that quote i call bullshit on but also with the point of no, you do have to do something you love because it is going to be work and show up as a job some days and not like, this is this amazing thing I get to do, but like, oh, I got to get my butt out of bed and do this. And so you have to then have passion about something because then what can pull your ass out of bed is that passion of, yeah. wait, why do I do this? If you're like, oh, I don't really want to do that interview mm -hmm. today. or I don't want to, you know, I love performing, but I just wish I could stay in bed today yeah. and write a song. I don't want to get on stage, but however it might show up for you in your life, that yeah. it, yes and no to that quote, but like, yes, it is true that you got to find whatever your job is and it doesn't have to be some big flashy thing or anything that whatever mm -hmm. your work is to remember why you're doing it. And also how you touched on, like, we all have to have a job. Mm -hmm. That made me remember with my daughter, with Zia, and you know, me being like, I, mommy has to go to work because I was around a lot more. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to be. And now I'm like more back to work. Uh -huh. So she's having babysitter stuff. Mommy has to go to work because mommy helps people. And that's what I'll say in different ways. And what I'm telling her about any type of job, you know, we're at a restaurant. Well, who's that person? Well, that's our waitress. She helps us get our food. So what I've told her about jobs is that everybody, when you get older, you get a job, like everybody has to choose a different way to help people. 
And so I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, that's what we're all doing. Like, you know, even though we're helping ourselves and we need money to survive and that, that we're all, if you're a cashier somewhere, you're helping people. Yeah. That we're all doing something that is helping other people. And so like, even if that's, you're like pulling your ass out of bed in the morning, like, why am I doing this? People need me to be there. I feel good when I'm of service. I love that. Yes. We all need a job because in some ways it helps. It helps society work. I like that. That is the positive look at socialism and democracy working. Like there's going to be different places for everybody and you're not always going to love your job, but they all will be helping. You know, if you work at a grocery store, you're helping the grocer, you're helping the farmer, you're helping the produce guy, you're helping the mom who's in there buying the groceries. Yeah. There are so many pieces that are constantly moving that I think that's a really smart way of looking at life. Yeah. We're all here to help. That's cool. Yeah. And so that to not feel like also it's like you don't also have to like make a career out of what your passion is that be that cashier, be the waitress. That is a necessary thing. And then maybe you choose to do what your passion is at home, because also sometimes when you choose to make your passion be your job, then you end up hating that passion. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Also that hand. Okay, so let's get back to your dad giving you that piece of advice you wanted to sing and make music. He gave you that, which then drove home like, okay, I have permission. Yep. I have permission to chase my passion and let my passion be my career. And how old were, do you feel like you were when you had that sort of idea? I do really want this. And not even like, I'm sure you had it maybe younger, but maybe when you're like, it's possible for me to make money, like that this can be the thing that makes me money, making uh, music or performing. So, so the, the seed was probably around 12 or 13. And that's when you don't even think about the money. You just think, yeah, I'm going to be famous or something like that. The making money part, when I was around 18, I started pursuing music through the field of musical theater where the main gig would be auditioning for work. I was like, wow, this is going to suck because I'm just going to be competing for a chance to sing. So I started to fine tune that competition and say, well, I'm just going to, if I do my own thing, I could do it on a street corner, I could do it in the park and do it in my apartment, then I'm really not competing with anyone. I'm just being me and I get to enjoy my passion and maybe I'll figure out a way to trade that for my basic needs, right? Because I knew I was getting a response out of people. So when I was 18, I started to make what I thought were small, realistic goals, smarter decisions. I took a few part-time jobs that I knew would still, that would be fun to work, but still give me energy when I got home to play my guitar and write songs and dream and know that I was moving the ball down the field. Even though I was a janitor at elementary school, even though I was selling cigarettes at a tobacco shop, I knew those weren't my careers, but they were fun jobs because they were environments that I liked. And at night, I still had energy and driven to write songs and be creative. Do you think back then that, did you have that insight? Or now looking back, do you see, oh, I had these jobs that left me still energy? Or did you leave other jobs because you're like, this is draining? I had that insight. Yeah. So I was living in New York City, working at Barnes & Noble, playing guitar, thinking that, uh, not playing guitar at Barnes & Noble, but (laughs) working on my music. And I realized New York is such a distraction. It is so expensive. And there are so many distractions here, just in people, drugs, expenses. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to Virginia where living is affordable 
and I'm going to get jobs that don't drain me, that I don't that that have cool bosses or I get to be my own boss. I'll figure it out so that I can have the time to build this music catalog. So yeah, it was a conscious decision, conscious effort. That's amazing. And while I was working at the tobacco shop, so serendipitously, tobacco was starting to get sort of pushed out of society, like no smoking. It was kind of starting to get gross. People were advertising that it was bad for you. So we had very few customers at the tobacco shop, which was great. So I could take my guitar to work. And we also had the internet at the tobacco shop and cable TV and unlimited (laughs) (laughs) Coca-Cola. So I was working double shifts and I was happy to do it. And I was smoking cigarettes, but I didn't care. Whatever. I was 19, 20, 21 years old, three, three years that I worked there. And and I got to listen to Nina Simone and Bob Dylan and Grateful Dead and Neil Young and albums that I had never spent time just listening to, but working at a tobacco shop where you can't leave, where you're sitting in there all by yourself, smoking, put on Nina Simone and really go deep, you know, put on jazz and put on Bob Dylan and really listen to what you think he's saying. And so that was very, very, very important time for me. Uh, how did I get on this? I'm, I'm stuck in the tobacco shop right now because I loved it. But it was a conscious decision. I know this is not going to be my career. I'm not going to be here forever, but it's a cool environment that yeah. still gives me joy and energy. Oh, so while I was working there, there would be these guys that came in for lunch break. And then after work, they would smoke cigars and they would watch money talk or whatever <laughs> these news shows are that inform you about investing. Yeah. And about business. So I started listening to learning about Roth IRAs and how you can invest and get taxed putting it in so that down the road when you take your money out, you don't get taxed on the way out. I mean, a 20 year old kid. I love that you like are remembering. Yeah. <laughs> like that cigar shop was. The- yeah. I was like, I'm going to, I took notes. I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to make money and I'm going to need to protect it and I'm going to need to invest it well. And so this odd <laughs> job that I had at this tobacco shop. And then what really put me over the top was this guy would come in who was a taper and he would go to concerts. Oh, a taper. I was like, what's a taper? Okay. A taper. Yeah. He would go to concerts and tape concerts. He'd wear this funky hat with microphones in the brim and he'd run the wires behind his ears down his shirt and he had like a fanny pack type of thing with dat tape machines. Wait, did he come into the cigar shop like that? or He showed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had it. But then he would also give me cassette tapes, like stacks of them. Here's Agents of Good Roots with Mo. Here's Dave Matthews Band. Here's Bob Dylan. Here's all kinds of shows. So this guy would go to shows and stereo record them yeah. with his funky hat. And then he would give you... And he would give me the tapes. So now I was getting this cool music, but what he also gave me was information on the music industry. I loved Dave Matthews, right? And he started explaining to me, oh, yeah, Dave is a bartender at this place called Trax. And a lot of the jazz musicians that come through there, they've gotten to know each other and they would jam and they would play Dave's songs. And they created this sort of jazz fusion songwriter band called Dave Matthews Band. And the owner of that bar is a guy named Corin Capshaw, who became Dave's manager and basically said, I'm going to invest in you guys so that you guys don't need jobs. You can just tour around and build fans. I've got a bunch of clubs. He was a club owner. He's like, you can play these clubs, but I really believe you can get fans. So DMB got this 
basically investor slash manager huh. to champion their career so that they could go out and do it. And so again, I'm putting all this together in my brain and I'm learning everything about the music industry right. through Money Talk and this taper at this tobacco shop. So years down the road, when I finally have the courage to go to California to pursue a dream, I know who I'm looking for. I'm looking for investors. Wow. I'm looking for management. I'm looking for gigs. I've sort of put my playbook together. So then when was that made you be like, did you first move to San Diego? No, no, no. I moved to San Francisco. You moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Okay, so why San Francisco? Because I had a friend there. Okay. That was it. I was looking to just have an adventure on the West Coast because I was always born and raised East Coast. And I had gotten a glimpse of the West Coast uh, for a New Year's Eve trip. I just came out here and saw a completely different world, the different geography of the land, topography of the land, different attitude, different weather, different history. I said, this is for me. I want to reset. I want a fresh start. So I packed up all my stuff. I was living in Farmville, Virginia, because I had enrolled in college for a second time. And I said, I'm not staying in school. I'm going to... What made you enroll back in college? Did you feel like you needed... It was sort of the next step on my um, doing things that will be no wasted effort in getting me to my dream. So I was tired of the day job okay. stuff, right? I've had enough of money talk and all that shit. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real show. Money I think talk. it is. Yeah, it sounds I like think it. it's too long. Yeah, I do remember Maria Bartolaroma or something. Maybe I don't even remember. Her. I don't know that. She was the lady host uh, on the, the stock floor of Wall Street on CNN or something. I, just, I don't know why I know the term money talk. I, I think my stepfather was looking at it, looking for it on my TV last time he was in town oh, wow. or something like that. But I'm like, that sounds familiar. Right. So I looked at college as a, as a way to like um, not have to have a day job. I was like, Okay. You know what? I'll get a student loan. I'll live at campus. I'll live off my loans. Got it. So it wasn't like I'm giving up on my dream. I need a backup degree. No, no, no. Instead of going to a job every day, I'll go to class. And I will get new information and wisdom Jason. that I can then go and put into my guitar and my journaling. This is epic. It is. I'm a smart dude. I know. And it's like I've known you for so long, but I'm like... I did not. It makes complete sense I, knowing you, but at the same time, I, I'm I like, conspired. <laughs> I worked very hard to be where I am. So yeah, I started the day job. <laughs> I took out some student loans. Not, I didn't. I didn't ask my parents for any money because I knew that this may not work. Like I may drop out of school, so I don't want that burden of owing my parents thousands of dollars for college. So I got my own loans, and I was correct. I went to school for about two months. And while I was there, I heard a voice in my head say, you need to go to California right now. It's like, really? Right now. I was like, okay, well, I'll wait till the summer. I'll be bi-coastal. I'll go to California summers. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go to school in the fall and spring back in Virginia. And the voice in my head says, no, 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 no. You need to get in your car and go right now. It scared me. To, it scared. What? Why? So I, I packed up all my stuff. Like you're done. Like I'm you done. don't have a place to live. I had a friend in San Francisco. But no, but I mean like, so in Virginia. I was in, I was in a dorm. Oh God. So you like packed up. Packed up all my stuff in the dorm, not leaving my stuff. I told my friends, I'm like, Hey, I'm out. And they're like, you're serious, aren't you? I said, I am so serious. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm telling my parents I'm going to California for spring break. So that's what I told him. I, I took my mom out to lunch and I said, yeah, I'm going to go to California for spring break. 
and she looked at my car and it's packed. I was about packed. to say, <laughs> where, was, where was your car? She saw it. It was packed all the way to the top. We're going to have a great time. I don't know what I'm going to need. <laughs> <laughs> she knew. I talked to her years later about it. She goes, I knew. I knew what you were doing. <laughs> but I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't want to be talked out of it. I was so scared. Mm, I didn't want to be talked out of it. And that's what I had been wondering, yeah, with you having the day jobs and then enrolling in college, like what your parents were thinking. Because when we are young, I and, you know, of course, not even when we're young, we're, there still is this what do my parents thinks, And that it can be a hard thing to believe in ourselves when our parents are oftentimes wanting like a safer choice for yeah. us. You know, like for me, I had that experience where I'm now like, and I always will tell people like, hey, when people don't believe in you or your dreams are not showing up how you want them to as a support, to remember it, to see it as love, because they're just like, they're just trying to protect you. They can't see what you see for yourself. It doesn't mean that they don't believe in you. It doesn't mean that, you know, like your parents, which your parents, I think, were behind you and believed in you is that you can make this happen. But for people out there that might feel like, I don't feel like my parents believe in this thing I'm going to do. Mm. That doesn't mean it means it's because they love you so much and that their minds don't work in the way that you do. That they're just like, no, 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 I'm saving. So like, whatever's coming at you, just see it all as love. That's right. Back to you and your story. But, so your parents in that process, were you telling them I, at any throughout this all? I mean, you went to musical theater school, came mm -hmm. home, mm -hmm. working cigar shops, playing music at night, or just working trying on your stuff? To, trying to. There was a couple of clubs in Richmond I, I would occasionally get a chance to play, and I hated it. Because everybody knew me there, at yeah. least in my brain. I get that. They knew me as the high school kid who was a musical guy. And now I barely play guitar and I have these weird songs. And there wasn't a huge scene out there. I didn't feel special. Uh, so I felt, I felt better about being when I was in New York because right. I was uh, unknown. Nobody has any idea of who you may be or if you may be good or not. Like where they're like, oh, is that that Jason guy that was in my gym class? Totally. he's not. Remember that time you did that? It works like, the other way around. If I'm on stage and I'm like, oh, God, there's that guy from gym class. <laughs> I don't want to pour my heart out to that guy. <laughs> so it works better for me if I don't know who the audience is. Isn't that strange? No, I get that. I, in my own life, I have not been a musician or performer, but I have been, when I've gone through different evolutions of things, I'm like, sometimes I feel comfortable like in a new city where nobody knows me because they don't know who, Trisha that did this or had that experience, whatever, that like we get to present ourselves in the way that we, like I know myself to be this, but that person sees me as this version of me and they attached that yeah. to that, but I'm just this person, okay? That's right. And so I understand how you're saying. Best piece of advice ever given to me on this topic is it's none of my business what you think of me. Mm -hmm. I spent, I have spent so many minutes, probably hours in my life, caring about something I have absolutely know, not, know nothing about, meaning what this person probably thinks of me. That is an impossible task yeah. to try to know what that is. So it's none of my business what you think of me. And as soon as I really started to apply that, it got easier. It got easier to perform. It got easier to be me. It got easier to take risks. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get back to your story, but I want to share like my big aha, like one of my sayings on my product and stuff is the only judge of me is me. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big thing I've said. But recently when I, again, I've like, you know, okay, I'm going to do these things. So I've myself been like picking myself up through doubts and fears of these things I want to do. And I was making up 
these people aren't going to believe in me. They're going to think, you know, this, that. And what I saw is that no judgment matters unless it's something that we believe to be true about ourselves. So like when we are making up, I bet, what if that person thinks that about me? That's just really because deep you're like thinking that about you. You know, yeah. like no judgment matters. Like for us to sit here and process, oh, if they think Trisha can't have a successful podcast or write a book or whatever, none of those thoughts matter about whoever in the world thinks them, whether it's my significant other or my best-selling author friend or anything. It's if that's a thought that I'm telling myself that I believe. Yeah. <laughs> that that's the only, that it's like, the, we don't even care about it. The, we're not ever even actually caring about what other people think about us. It's all our own thoughts yeah. about ourselves. Exactly. The, the, the possible thought that person over there is having is really the thought I'm having. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, that's me <laughs> judging myself and wondering if they're judging me that. But it's, oh, wait, it's just like me and I'm projecting that judgment that they could possibly having of me on me. But that's just me talking. That's just me. And so, but when you see that, it's just you, then it becomes, well, let's see how we can work around that. And that's for me, it's like, oh, Trisha, that's you doubting yourself. That's you judging yourself for that. So how can we work through that? That's great. That's like a reverse magic trick. <laughs> It's like, oh, damn. I know. Shit, oh. that's just my shit. But like, it's good to be aware of that, man. Because the, then the more you are aware of your own shit, if you do come across someone who's outspoken about your shit and being very judgmental, you know that they're just having a bunch of shit. <laughs> oh, I see you talking about yourself. It's going to be okay. But it does. It actually makes me have more compassion for myself and for everyone else because I'm like, I'm not the only one that's doing this Ooh. stuff. Oh my And so gosh. that, you know, like really having that compassion for myself and seeing these things, they make me just look at everybody like, I see you. I got it. Yeah. That negative comment you're leaving for me right now, <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. That is not, you're working through some stuff over there. Yeah. I'm just going to hold some space for yeah. you. Ooh, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good that you can, we can laugh at it. Oh my gosh. Ah. Uh. Um, well, we were talking about that topic. It came up as if, where were your parents in any of this of like, you go to music theater, you move back home, you're working in a cigar shop. You, oh yeah. We we're talking about playing out. So you're playing a little bit of music. Mm -hmm. So to them, were you even saying I'm going to musician or were you just like, yeah. Oh, I'm, he's a kid that's figuring his stuff out. No. Yeah. They knew me. Yep. Yeah, because they knew I had had a four track at home and I was making demos. And when I would, I had a nighttime gig as a janitor at elementary school, which was rad, because I could put on my four-track tapes on my Walkman and listen to them in my headphones and kind of review myself and, and see how I can improve the song. So when I got back home the next day, I could tweak that song, change a lyric, do a new recording, etc. No different than what I do now with, with the creativity. And being that it was this after-hours gig there was a little music room. I could play piano. My brother would sometimes bring a saxophone and we would jam at this elementary school at midnight and uh, have a blast. So I was making music and my parents knew that. And I would occasionally pull out the guitar at events and I was starting to have a couple of little hits in my community. One song was called the GM Delta 88, which was this track that I made reading the owner's manual from my GM Delta 88, <laughs> which it wasn't a 1988. That was the series of the vehicle. I think it was a 1986 car, but it was called a Delta 88. I have no idea why, <laughs> but it had a GM Delco sound system and a center instrument cluster. Um, I don't think we need the details. 
<laughs> no, but these are the actual, the reason I'm saying these things, they were the lyrics in the song. It was a slow beat with a solid bass and it spread around my community and at local college where I went. And it was really one of my first hits. Another it. song was Galaxy, which was almost word for word my friend's journal entry about this fantastical story where he a star had fallen and crashed into the ground and he picked it up and he realized it was a piece of you or a, like your heart or something. And so I read this while jamming and it became a song and that, that too became one of my hits. So I started to have those experiences and my friends and family around me were, were a part of that. And so they were continuing to push me and support me. Got it. So they were supportive. They weren't like, because you're telling us now how everything you're really doing was so intentional. But I could see how from an outsider, they could just be like, well, Jason thinks he's going to exactly. be successful in music. Uh -huh. There was an afternoon where I had gotten to the elementary school early to clean it. And not everybody on staff had left yet. And a mom came in that I knew from high school. She was the parent of another kid I was in high school with. She goes, oh, what are you doing here? And I had a mop in my hand. <laughs> I was like, oh, just working on my music. Oh, you didn't say and that. I did. I said, I'm just working on my music. She goes, I thought you were in New York. I was like, yeah, I'm back here. I'm working on my music. And she gave me that look of, oh, all right. Well, good luck with that. And I could see her uh, confusion, I guess. That's all I'll say. Maybe she was a little confused yeah. or concerned, a concerned parent. But inside of me, I was so naive and so happy. I was like, I am. No, I really am. Like, this is what it looks like. And you just watch. That's what I was going to wondering if there was a part of you fired up like, oh, I'm going to show you. I'm working on my music. You are going to know my music one day. Totally. I was so into it and so naive thinking I will, I will not fail. Why is that naive? Why are you calling yourself naive? I guess because as I've gotten older, I start to be a little more practical in certain thoughts. And I think, oh, how much energy would I want to put in this or that? And what's the likelihood of failing in that? And what about trying this? And how much money is that going to take in time? Blah, blah, blah. So a little more analytical, right? Yeah. Back in those days when I was 19, 20, I mean, I, I was starting to think in ways of, you know, projecting and promoting my career. But I, I use the word naive because failure wasn't an option. Yeah. Failure was not an option. I just was dead set on doing it and it was going to work. I love that. And I see that. That's why for me, though, it was interesting that you chose the word naive because naive to me, Feel, and I don't know if that's the definition for when I hear it, it, it shows up to me as like, not like fully understanding, like, you know, just sort of, and I'm, that's just maybe my interpretation, but like, I was like, no, to me, you seemed like you were like, just no, I know this is happening for me and like so powerful okay. and believing for me naive is, is I'm hearing it as a like, sort of like soft, weak, like, oh, poor little naive Jason. And you're like, no, you were like focused. I am doing this. Yeah, okay. Well, I was. But maybe I was, I was naive to the failures. I was, I was unaware of the potential risks. I was oh, naive to... Got it. Got it. So you yeah. did believe so strongly in yourself, but naive meaning like you didn't know 
the challenges and the big reality of how hard it actually is exactly. to become successful. Yep, totally. Got. Okay. So I understand that now because, yeah, in my mind, I'm like, what do you mean? Of course, it's going to be hard and successful, but you're committed to it. Yeah. But you didn't. You were just like happy. I love music. I'm going to make love it. <laughs> I'm so unique. <laughs> just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so you backed up your car and you moved to San Francisco. Your voice was telling you to go there. You went to San Francisco because you had a friend there. In yep. your mind then, were you like, okay, so I'm going to go to San Francisco. I'm going to, were you like music, music, music? Or were you like, I'm going to find a nice job? Were you still being intentional and practical that way? Well, I had to be smart because I cashed in my student loan check. All that was left of it was about $1,700. And that's what I moved that's to California nice with. Pat. That's a nice pretty padding though, especially for a young kid. Yeah. Yeah, and gas was a lot cheaper back then, and I had a place to crash. And first couple of weeks, you know, I probably burned through half of it um, just in traveling and getting set up. And um, I put maybe two or three hundred dollars in a drawer um, in my pad in San Francisco. I was staying in a basement of this house that had about eight people in it. And I knew somebody that lived in that house, which is how I got in there. And I started looking around for gigs and there was these sort of underground club gigs and coffee gigs and a lot of house concerts. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to take me a while to get to build up the momentum here that I was starting to have in Richmond, but that's fine. I'll find a job. I'll do something that supports my creativity. I'm surrounded by creative people. This is San Francisco. And my friend's boyfriend invites us all to Las Vegas. This is about three weeks after arriving in San Francisco. He's like, hey, a buddy of mine is a concert promoter named Bill Silva. Like, I'm just now finally remembering yeah. this story. And uh, Bill Silva is promoting some concerts at the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel in Las Vegas. Let's go. I said, great. I'm... I put $200 in my drawer and I had maybe two or $300 in my pocket. And that was about what was left of my money. And I said, that's fine. When I get back from this trip, I have a little bit of money saved that I can pay my rent, but I will get a job as soon as I get back. So I go to this Vegas thing and I meet so many great people. I mean, friends who now I have been friends with for 20 years since it was actually April 1st, 1999. So, And this was just a couple, three weeks after you drove across the country. This is three weeks after I, yeah, three weeks after. So I show up in Vegas and I meet Bill Silva and I meet a bunch of friends. I meet Marty Diamond, who would eventually become my agent. I meet Jerry Lindahl, who is still who is technically became my first day-to-day -day manager and still to this day is my merchandise manager. I meet Justin Jonte, who becomes one of my best friends, who to this day manages my farm operations. Uh, we're still very, very close, all three of us. What were all these people doing there? Partying in Las Vegas. <laughs> it was because just we that were there was a concert. Bill. Yep, there were two concerts. Billy Joel one night and uh, Lannis Morissette another night. So you're just attending as a guest. He's like, got you guys guest list tickets. Everybody's just coming. Yep. Oh, okay, you know Bill, you know Bill. And it's just epic and people meeting. And that was Bill's nature. Uh, he's just a, such a loving guy. He invites a lot of people in, friends, family, people of all ages and backgrounds because he just likes to surround himself with creative people, um, interesting people, and obviously trying to keep his ear on new things in life, which is why I believe uh, I might have gotten invited along. 
And I think my friend in San Francisco probably gave Bill a tip like, hey, this is a talented kid. Maybe you should give him a listen. So I had my guitar. And at one point, I got to play some songs in a hotel room. And Jerry was in there. Bill was in there. And uh, I guess back in the day, I found this out later, that they had a code that if it sucked, they were going to say something that dismissed them and got them to just go back to life. But I impressed them enough that Bill asked me shortly after, like, what are you doing? Who are you? What are you doing? I was like, well, I don't know. I'm just driving around. I just drove to San Francisco <laughs> from Virginia. I'm, you know, I'm going to go back to San Fran and get a job. I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, we started talking more about music and he, he recommended San Diego. He's originally from San Diego and said, uh, you know, San Diego has this really cool coffee shop music scene. That might be a cool place for you to check out. So from Vegas, I went to San Diego. Just on Bill's tip. On Bill's tip. He wasn't, okay, because I knew that you guys met early on and that, did you at some point live? We had never met before Vegas. Right, but so that's, but, but when Bill told you, hey, check out San Diego Coffee yeah. Shop, he wasn't like, come stay with me or anything at that point. He did say, you're, you're welcome to use our guest room. And uh, so I, I was getting to know Jerry and Justin, who were in the community there. And so I, I said, all right. All these people seem really great. Okay, so you did have a landing place. I had a landing place. But you still were like, all right, I'm going to try this out. I just met these people. Yeah, I had nothing to lose. I had no job. And I... And they saw something in you, right, that then probably made you believe more in yourself. This is happening. And anytime people wanted to be enthusiastic around me or my music, I, I gave them a shot. That's very, very helpful. Surround yourself with talented, hardworking people. And it will only add to your own fire, right? So in Vegas, I was sitting at this roulette table getting hammered. And I accidentally put the wrong chips on some numbers. <laughs> meaning I was down to like $75. And that was all I had in my pocket. And then I had the $200 in the drawer in San Francisco. Oh, I was like, all right, well, I should get off this roulette table. I'm going to hold this $75 over here. Meanwhile, the drinks are free in Las Vegas, and I'm 21, so I'm going for Hello, it. Hello, free drinks. Yeah, I'm 21. <laughs> I welcome Unchaperoned. You. I just, I'm seeing two concerts. I'm a guest of the promoter. I'm a, I'm a big shot. And I accidentally grab a $25 chip and put it on a number. And then the guy goes, no more bets. And I see my loss. I see it. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm down to 50. And my number hit. And I want a thousand dollars. Oh shit! Yeah, I so I thought, cash me out. Like I'm done. I get to walk away. I, I probably spent 140 bucks at the table or something, but I walked away with a thousand. I could breathe. I say like, I don't have to go back to San Fran immediately and get a job. I have money in my pocket, so that also gave me a little confidence to go to San San Diego. I was like, hey, I got a few more weeks. I just bought myself a, like a month, maybe more. So. Went to SD, crashed at Bill's house in his guest room. I mean, met so many people right away because Bill was also managing some bands in San Diego. So I met Eric Hinojosa almost day one, who still plays keys in my band. He's a neighbor. He's the reason why I live where I live. Uh, I, I mean, I met some lifelong friends. Psst, Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption to tell you about some things, some ways that I can help you in your daily life. One, it's my daily inspiration app. It's only $3.99. That's a one-time price that you pay. There's no ads. 
There's no, hey, you have to pay more for this feature. No, that's it. And there's hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations, and I even add more to it. So you open up the app at any time and you get a message. I just got baby steps are steps. Take one today. You can hit the show me a card button. You can swipe through. I got life is always evolving. I am evolving with it. I just got, I will not rush the timing. I trust the timing. So many different things in there. You can also go into the settings of the app and hit the latest and set a time so that every day at the same time, you get a reminder to go pull a card because we forget to do things, right? We forget to do things that are good for us that make us feel great. So that's the app. You can get it in the Google Play and the Apple App Store. It's called Own Your Awesome. Second, I have products in my shop, shop shop.yourdryologist.com. Jason is on tour right now using my insulated water bottles. I only have these available at limited times. So you might not, they might not be in stock when you're listening to this. Go check out my shop, shop shop.yourdryologist.com. My favorite product right now is the daily inspiration journal. It's these daily check-in points that get you connected to you comes in two cover types. Third thing to go really deep, I am available for one-on-one coaching. Jason gave me the title of ma- your man- of his manager of integrity years ago and that is the title of my coaching. That's what I do for people. I hold the space and hold them in integrity with what they really want. We have 1-hour conversations every week for 6 weeks at a minimum. Plus I'm in conversation with them every single day via text, via voice memo, via via email, phone. I'm really there for you to make sure that you are actually showing up for yourself, making the changes that you want to make, trying things out, doing the things that you say that you want to do and that you never get around to. When you work with me, I keep you in integrity with yourself And also we feel things out, things that you thought you wanted might not end up being for you. Nothing is forced. There's no shoulds. It's all about you. So check out my coaching at yourdryologist.com backslash coaching. There's some other varieties of it too, but that's the main one. All right, let's get back to the episode. So now that starts to pick up into you becoming a musician, you're playing out What starts to show up then as like, yay, you know, you're still like you said, originally, you were naive, like you believe in yourself, but you're naive and as to how hard it is. And then this like magical sort of thing happens. Mm -hmm. So as you then do start playing out, are you getting bigger opportunities? Or even maybe like when you get your first record deal? Is there ever a point then when you're so excited, but you're also like doubting yourself and like, am I actually, Mm. you know, like, can I do this? Am I as talented as I think I am? Like, I want to hear about are there any sort of self-sabotaging thoughts or things that you had to face coming up? Or were you just the whole time sort of feeling like, yeah, like, I'm amazing. I'm going to keep doing this. So from that point, arriving in San Diego, it was be, it would be about three years before I actually had the record deal. Okay. So three years and then that you're like playing in the coffee shops. And writing. And working hard. I was like, okay, I'm in love with San Diego. I love the coffee shop scene, but I still only have 12 songs. I don't have a lot of cool stuff. And I don't have gigs immediately. People just don't want me to show up and play. I got to earn it. Even though Bill invited you down there, it's not like he was like, 
And now, Jason, you get to play here. He was just a guy that offered you a place. Yes, and he was a guy that occasionally I would get a cool opening slot because of his connections. Got it. But I had to do the day-to-day grind. And that kind of probably made you be more like, oh, shit, so, like, this is the real time of I'm going to be a working musician. How does this work? Exactly. And, like, I, yeah, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be a working musician, I, gotta, I need to have songs. I need to have chops. I need to be able to play. I need to be able to stand up and play guitar. I couldn't do that at the time. You know, I need to be able to talk to the audience. I need to do all these little things to make myself a better performer. So what did you do? Did you have, like, start, like, I'm going, did you start a writing process back then? Like, you know, like, I need to write more songs. How did you get to it? I, yeah, I would just write. I didn't have a practice other than probably sit in my room and do it from time to time or sit in the garage and do it. Um, I didn't call it a practice. I just know I needed to do it and wanted to do it. I was also making things up. Back in those days, I really didn't edit. I would just write down anything that came out of my mouth and turn it into a song. I would improvise a lot on stage. So for me, it was play as much as possible. So I was playing house parties. I was playing I was playing open mics that would eventually turn into songwriter showcases, which is if you're popular at the open mics and you have a lot of good songs, they might invite you back so that you can do like more of a spotlighted set in front of a focused audience. Uh, I would go to coffee shops where there was no entertainment. And I said, can I be your entertainment? Can I bring fans here? And that was probably for free. Oh, yeah. Just like, can you please let me play here? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Not like, which I think is important, too, because, again, I try to tell people, and I don't know if it's this, people are like millennials or whatever. I think it can happen in any generation that you're just like, sometimes you believe so strongly in yourself, like, no, I can do this. So, like, just you need to give me that job or this, whatever, that people want to skip ahead. And I'm like, most of the times I'm just like, you got to just start doing it and working for free and prove to people and yourself that like, oh yeah, I'm good at this. And then when people be like, start to show up. That's right. So yeah, just want to be clear. You were showing up like, can I play here for free, please? Exactly. I think I had done like an afternoon set at this little coffee shop around the corner from Java Joe's and Java Joe's was the premier coffee shop. It was the best name. It was the best sort of um, collection of songwriters from the community. There was a built-in audience. That's where I wanted to play. But I was a nobody, so I couldn't get in there. So around the corner, this lady, Norma, at Newbreak Coffee, she would occasionally <laughs> have gigs. Like the coffee shop scene. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't. Joe was like, who are you? No, thanks. Come back when you have an audience. Why would, a, why would a venue owner put you in there if you don't have an audience? And I understood that. So I had played Norma's place one day, and I realized she didn't have live entertainment. So I said, hey, would you mind if I brought in a PA on Friday nights and advertised and had our own thing? And she let me do that starting in the summer of 99. I did it all the way up until probably Christmas of 99, almost every Friday night. And I would promote the sunset which, which sat right across the street in the ocean. Say, so, hey, let's all gather at 7.30 or whatever for the sunset and then at 8 p.m. move into New Break and for a night of music. And it started with two people. Two people were Shauna Schwartz and Candy Friend. I'm calling them out on the microphone. They came all by themselves and they were my first audience. Oh, I thought they like played with you. No, no they were the they people were that audience. showed up. They showed up. Oh, that's awesome. Because I had done another gig playing a side stage at a Jewel concert and we passed out flyers. on. And if you sign up to my email list. You had an email list back in the day. Oh, working yeah. It. And I had Jerry and Justin, who I've mentioned, out in the audience handing out these little postcards. 
to this day, right now, this morning, I had to confirm a postcard for Jerry and Justin about <laughs> avocados. <laughs> we are still doing the exact same stuff that we did back then. I'm serious. So anyway, they helped me pass out these postcards and people could fill them out and mail them in. And then they'd be part of my email list. And I would let people know about my shows. Whose idea was that? Was that one of theirs or did you? Who had Probably Jerry's, Justin's. Justin had a family friend that ran a print shop. So we got a deal, if not free, on the printing for these postcards. But yeah, it was like, were they like, hey, I've seen other musicians do that? Or like, who had the idea? That's a pretty... Probably. Yeah, I think other musicians were doing it. This was, I didn't even have my own website yet. Right. This is late 90s. It was analog, kind of. I still have all those postcards. So you bought your own PA or you found, had a friend borrow one and you're like, you made that happen. I moved to California with a PA. Okay, got it. Yeah. So you're like, I I can can play play here. I'm bringing gear. I'm doing the work. Mm -hmm. You were building your audience. I built my audience. So the first two people came on that first show and the next week they brought, they each brought a friend and there was four people. And the week after that, there was eight people. And I watched it double week after week after week. How'd that feel? Amazing. I was thrilled. You're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's working. What I had anticipated, what I had uh, envisioned... But it's also on two different levels, like business, like my plan, I'm building the audience of this is the plan, but then also like, oh, they're coming back yeah. because they like my music. So it's also a kind of two part. I, this is working. Yeah, this is working. I thought what I'm doing is good enough that it is working. It's going to work. And it, I saw it. And by the end of 99, I had a big fat audience. So every time I would go down to Java Joe's, there would be an audience that went with me. Until eventually, starting in 2000, uh, October of 2000, actually, I started to play regularly at Java Joe's. And that became my home every Thursday night, the Java's. And it, that, then it really blew up. So in that time, so was then your first sort of mission that like, I need to start playing and you were working, you were just all together okay, this is happening. I need to get better at performing. I need to build an audience. I need to write songs. songs. So in that time, were you then performing and writing more songs? Because also when you're playing at coffee shops, like how long are you playing? If it's just you, I guess you could be playing... Two to three hours. Wow. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Just do my own thing. And is that covers too? Or just... Uh, Occasionally, but I sucked at covers. Nice. No, I mean, nice, not nice that you, not nice that you suck, but nice that you were pretty much doing original or for making music up. I wanted to do original stuff. I, I never felt like I did covers well, unless, unless I had an emotional attachment to the lyric of a cover song, then I would do it. Otherwise I would just do my own thing and be weird and, and improvise a lot and tell jokes and scat a whole bunch. And I was starting to meet people in the community who could join me. So I, I eventually met Toko Rivera, who started joining me to make the sound expand. His brother, Carlos Almeida, was a huge influence. Other players like Gregory Page um, would just start showing me new chord progressions and ways to look at songwriting that influenced me. I was, I was in it. And the nights that I weren't playing, the nights that I wasn't playing, I would work the door at Java Joe's. I would run sound at Java Joe's. Yeah. I'd plug in the mics. I would do whatever I could to help out just to stay in it 
Yeah, I get that. I'm like saying, yeah, because even though I didn't have the like perform, but it's just that's how live sound was for me. That was my first career. And I was just like, I will do anything. And even once I became a live sound engineer, I moved to California. I would work as a runner on my days off because I just loved the world. Like I was drawn to the music industry, not for performing, but and I'm still drawn to the music industry and like one to talk to musicians. But it's I understand that feeling of like, I'll I'll do what I just this is my world now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to go. This is a great place. This is my clubhouse. So then it sounds like early on you maybe didn't face too many negative thoughts. Like you were just in a bubble of excitement and this is happening. And that's why I use the word naive because I never gave myself too many chances to think I was going to fail. Yeah. And I was so focused on, nope, this is working, almost egoically uh, assumptive. I wonder, I don't like to like blame social media th- for things, but now looking at the days of like, I wonder if a person, you know, like you in this world, what's so much easier to compare yourself Ooh, to yeah, other people in the reality things. TV. There's like every like The Voice and American Idol, which are amazing. But I'm like, I wonder if that changes how young people dream about their possibilities now. I think so. But it also could make more people dream because you're seeing these people like, on TV, like, oh, wow, this 15-year-old or this 37, you know, like the vastness of this can happen. Like they're working hard, but then also, so I feel like it plays in two, fo- whatever, two, fo- I don't know what words I'm using, but like it could inspire more people, but also then you're trapped more into, is this happening fast enough comparison? Oh, that person's doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for us to compare 20 years ago to it is now because I'm not coming up now in this social media thing. So. But what I do know is back then, there were less, if any, like going viral moments. There were less moments where something could get hot real fast overnight and explode overnight. You know, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram. And I think what that created was um, a nice pace. Yeah, we're not feeling so urgent of like, this has to happen now because you're seeing other people it was and because you can't forget that just doing the work and being in that clubhouse doing being the runner being the sound man or being on stage is all part of that dream whereas if i'm just if 20 years ago i played a gig and then i went home and just looked at social media between gigs i wouldn't i wouldn't really be in that world right instead of like writing more songs or whatever it yeah. could be. Keeping my eyes open to my own experiences. So, let's, so now we're talking about comparison then. So back in those days, you wouldn't have social media, but were there other people in the coffee shops? Like, were there other regular at Javi Joe's before maybe you got in or anything that did you have any sort of that of like, oh, that person's, I think I'm better than them or like, how come they get a spot and I don't yeah, sort of feeling? There was some of that. And I think that'll always be like that. There's some competition, or at least you would sense it. There was a couple of uh, you know veterans of the coffee shop world that had been there a long time. They were great players, great songwriters. And I knew because I had this relationship with Bill Silva and these little connections that I, I could also get a hand up outside of the coffee shop. I was getting opening gigs. I was getting these things. So I felt... I I felt a little special, and sometimes my brain would 
make me think I was being judged by some of the other people in the coffee shop. For example, one night I'm on stage and I said, uh, hey, does anybody have an, a pick? I need a pick badly. I need a guitar pick badly. And a guy in the back of the room goes, no, you pick badly. And it was one of the veteran coffee shops, guys, songwriters. And I was, it was a good comeback, but I was crushed. I was like, that's a good comeback. <laughs> yeah, it's a great comeback, but I was crushed. It was like, oh, this is one of those guys that you think that maybe they're making up, like that guy doesn't deserve that opening spot. He just gets it because he knows so and so, but he's not any good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so then that make you sort of spin in thoughts of yourself: of Am I even good? Do I deserve this? Am I special? Like special? Like meaning like, did you feel like I'm special? Like I'm great? Or like I know that I kind of got a little head is up because I know that person. Both, but, yeah, both. I mean, it wasn't a thing I was constantly swimming in, but. I was sensitive to that. Yeah. You know, I knew that there were a lot of people in there that worked their asses off and I was still getting these opportunities that some other artists weren't getting. Yeah. And I feel like and sometimes in life we can feel like, oh, if that was just like luck and so then I deserve that. But really, if you're there and appreciating it and you'll know, like, I don't feel like anybody can get somewhere with just pure luck. Like, sure, you got handed those spots, but it wasn't like, Okay, like, but nothing would come of you. If you got handed an w- opening spot and you suck, you want to get another one, no matter who you knew. Right, yeah, <laughs> so the the luck would be, yeah, you got the opening spot, great. Luck is like going viral. It's like, oh my God, I exploded, I'm so popular. But where, where does that get you? Like, what's your next thing? If you don't have a regular practice of doing and showing up and making things and making something new to follow that, then that luck is, is only going to be for that one moment. It's yeah. not going to be for life. And I feel like in my past career, you know, when people would be like, oh, how did you make this happen? How did you start working for this company? And I'd feel like wanted to say I was so lucky, but I had amazing opportunities. But because I showed up and I did the work and yes, I also had a great personality, you know, that might have helped. And so I also wanted to bring that up of like the luck and like, yeah, you know what? You had Bill helping you in some areas, but that wasn't because just because like but Bill liked you because he believed in you and because you were a great musician and you showed up and you did your job probably and you're professional. Like these different things where like, I'm just expanding on this for anybody that starts to like take credit for yourself. Like, oh, one of my same, own you're awesome. Own who you are. And that like, you might have people helped you out, but probably for a reason. And that the reason it worked out is because you consistently showed up and did the work, which Jason, we are hearing did. I sure did. <laughs> it was very intentional. I sure did. Everything. You know, like when I met Bill and uh, so Bill ended up moving to Los Angeles uh, shortly after I moved to San, San Diego, which was a huge, it was a gift in that he said, hey, I'm moving to LA. My house is for sale. You can't live here for too long, but you can live in it until it sells. Hmm. So if occasionally somebody's going to need to come by and see the house, let them in or take off. Don't be there. You know, and I wasn't home that often. Well, the house didn't sell for two years. So I got to live rent free. That was a huge, huge gift because how do you live on coffee shop wages? And that's why you didn't need to go get a fun job to fill your daytime hours. Exactly. So I could live and get by on 
my little coffee shop gigs and I started to record my shows and sell CDs as a merch item. So not only were you making your door money, but you could also make an extra 50 bucks if you sold five CDs. So a little entrepreneurial spirit kind of kicked in to, to make, give myself a good quality of life. And also knowing that once I had enough songs and my show was good enough and I would be ready, I, I still have Bill as a resource, which was pretty cool. No, so that was always a driving force. It's like, show up, do the work, do the work, do the work, be ready. Because one day, Bill and I are going to want to go to a record company and say, we are something. We want to work together. I didn't know what it was going to look like. But looking back, what it looks like is once you have an audience, once you have songs and you're selling something, everybody wants to work with you. They want a piece of that action. They want to help promote you and explode you and exploit you. And that's eventually what happened. Eventually, I'd put out my own little Live at Java Joe's CD. It had maybe 20 songs on it or something. We were selling a lot of them. Was that just like you had like an at-home like, yeah. were you just like burning CDs? Oh I'm like trying to even remember God. CDs back in the day. <laughs> if you really want to know, this is a good story. <laughs> yes, we had multiple CD burners at home and they were real time. So you had to, oh <laughs> you had to burn it as it played. It wasn't like in oh, fast wow. forward. Okay. So we might be able to do like five an hour or something. I don't know. It was crazy. Because you had multiple we had a of multiple. them. So you were investing. Yeah, we were investing. <laughs> but here's, here's where we really, this is good. And I could probably go to jail for oh. this. <laughs> I don't know if I could. It's, is there like a statute of, like it There's was so many years ago? And you know what? I'm going to leave some details out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this is a fun story. Jerry, aka merchandise manager, moves to Los Angeles following Bill up there because they were, they were bros. And Jerry gets a job at a record company working in the film and TV department. And I get to be Jerry's intern. Okay. All right. So now I'm working at a record company. So then did you move, you moved to LA at this point or just like coming up? Uh, I was going back and forth okay. now because... Because you had your San Diego following. I still had a little San Diego, I definitely had a San Diego following and... Uh, the, the house was near ready for sale, but I think I was still kind of in and out of the house down there. But at this point I had a lot of friends. I could sleep at Java Joe's as well. I could go to LA and stay with friends. My, my, my little, my little community was expanding. So I was interning at this record label, learning more about record companies because I didn't know anything about them. So this was a way for me to get in the door, kind of understand what they do, meet people in the industry. Who happened to work at that label? Patrick Pocklington. Whoa. I meet him because I didn't I'm his intern history. putting together his Ikea furniture for his new office. Okay, Patrick Pocklington, by the way, ends up becoming... My day-to-day -day manager from I'm Yours prob all the way up until Waitress. So 10 years. I get to work with Patrick. Um, but fast forward, uh, I mean, rewind 20 years ago, I'm an intern building his furniture and he's an awesome guy even back then at a record label. So this is a fun gig. I'm learning some things. Well, after hours at that record label, they had a whole wall of CD duplicators. I mean, a wall, like 30 to 50 CD duplicators because they're a record company. They got to make demos. They got to pump them out. So after hours, 
I'd be in there, I'd put my CD in, and I'd put like 50 blank CDs in the machine, and I'd pump out free duplications of my own stuff. That's why I think Wait, I could go to jail. are you also taking their free, their yeah, blank, blank CDs? CDs? Got it, okay. That's what, I was like, well, they're just using your recorders, but you I'm using their machines, and I'm using their, and I might have taken a few padded envelopes to, to ship out my <laughs> uh, CDs to my growing online fan base. Uh, but you know, I, you gotta be resourceful. I don't, I don't think you're going to go to jail. I don't think I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) That record company's still doing well and everybody's happy. Resourcefulness though. Yep. Yes. Resourcefulness. I was after it. We sing, we dance, we steal things. Okay. (laughs) We make things happen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What else? You know, I love the like you're trying. <laughs> I'm tired of holding Album number. <laughs> album number was that? Three. That was my third really? album. Really? That was only three? Yeah. I don't know where we are. <laughs> Did I do seven records? No. Uh, third album was We Sing We Dance. Fourth album, Love is Full Letter Word. Fifth album. Yes. Sixth album. No. That's it. And a whole bunch of live albums. No, right. No, I yes got and confused. No. Yeah. yeah. But because I didn't see it. Yeah. Visually. No. Yes. I was like, this is not in the proper timeline. But that was actually something I was going to ask you about was yes and no. Not as well, somewhat as that names your albums, but uh, you wrote an album mm-hmm. entitled Yes. Mm-hmm. I've known you to be a big yes person. Mm-hmm. I am a big preacher of the word no. Uh-huh. N-O. Sure. Do you struggle with saying no? Not anymore. I mean, struggle sometimes. Depends on the ask and who the person is because I, oh, I'm so sensitive and I, I want to, you know, I love that little serotonin, dopamine, whatever happiness hit you get when you tell somebody yes mm. you see their excitement yeah. it overflows and then five minutes later you go oh shit i gotta do this so i've gotten much better at that i used to give out wimpy yeses all the time and now where do you do you feel like where that shifted just age and experience but you don't have a like was it before the yes album or anything like because what when you put out that Yes album, did you, where was that big Yes coming from? I mean, you titled an album Yes. <laughs> that Yes came from the relationship I have with Raining Jane and the relationship I have with Christina. Those were the, those are the big relationships in my life at that time. And I was, as I do with records, I write and write and write all, and I have no idea where the album is even while I'm writing it. I just know I'm building the song base. And when I looked at the path of my music with Raining Jane, which had not yet really been celebrated publicly, that felt like such a yes. It's like that path seems so easy and it seems so beautiful. It seems so special. And at the same time, my growing relationship with my wife was also starting to, to, come to fruition, I guess, or you could say, or it was being nurtured. And so that album is called a yes because of those things. I'm Do you feel like with hearing that big yes for yourself, was that because there might have been 
pushback? Like, let's talk about with the Janes. Was there any pushback from like your label or management of like, no, we're not feeling this and that you're like, yes, we're doing this or was just your own like, I yes, I'm doing this. This is the time. There, was there any like things that you had to sort of like fight for in making that album with the Janes? Because it was a little bit of a departure. It was. Uh, but no, I didn't have to fight for it with the label. They loved the hey. concept. They loved the songs. Or pressure. There's also something I was going to ask like, do you feel like in that creative process of having to turn in label or turn in records to labels and there's a timeline and stuff, did you feel like you struggled more with the pressure from a label or pressure on yourself? Myself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because sometimes a label can't, in fact, they rarely tell you what they want. They don't know what they want because all they know is they want something original and they want it to be good. Yeah. They don't, they don't give you any other details. So if you send in 20 songs and they're all rejected, it's not that they're looking for something else. It's just that you need to rethink what you're working on and make it original and make it good. So a lot of my songs are rejected when I send them in, which is fine. Is that fine now? Was that somewhere you had to get to a place of like, this is what happens. I write a lot of songs, they get rejected. I write more, we get there. Yeah. Was that, yeah. Was there a point where you're like, oh, I'm terrible. They don't like me. They don't get me. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. There's that over and over and over again. But I had, I've always had a good work ethic of like, go back, just write something else, do something else, rethink the situation, you know? And connecting back with the resounding well, this is like, why do I do this? Yeah. And that gets you back in there because I'm sure that takes you out sometimes. Like I keep writing and they keep telling me no yeah. or that's not good enough. And so then you just have to like, what, come back to what you believe to be true about yourself? Yep. So yeah, most of the pressure is from within on myself. So when I started looking at material around that Yes record, um, you know, I'd even had a song, Have It All, was already in my catalog at that point and other things to do to bounce around and be a pop star with all these sounds or whatever. But I, they, those weren't fulfilling to me. I was, I was writing something I th thought they wanted or I thought the world needed. But when I listened to the stuff I was doing with Raining Jane, it sounded original. It sounded fresh, it sounded beautiful. It sounded like the music I really make in my backyard with my friends. So that's where the yes came up. I was like, this feels so easy and natural that that's why it became yes. And when we talked about yes in our promotion for that record, we did it lightly and kind of vaguely, just how, because we were friends since 2006, the Janes and I, and we continued to say yes and meet and write songs, it eventually grew into something. Like our willingness to keep showing up, our willingness to say, yes, let's try again. Yes, let's write another song. Yeah. Let's meet again. I think I started working with you like maybe the next year or whatever. By so I know that you knew them before I started working with you on that. Yeah, to see that you were always like, oh, writing with the Janes here and there throughout the years. And then it mm -hmm. became like, I thought it was amazing and so huge that you then chose to make them be your band and write the songs and bring them on stage sure. with you. Because yeah, it was like, yeah, you're showing up, but it could have just felt like, yeah, they're just some people I write music with here and there. Cause you write. Yeah. Cause there are a lot of people I write music with that never make it on stage. Um, yeah. I've known the Jane since before I'm yours even came out. So we wrote one of the first songs we wrote together was a beautiful mess, which ended up on that same album with I'm yours. So I knew 
from the first collab that we could do cool things. So I never wanted to give that up. But sure enough, we made an album together and it's only grown. And then yes, in relationship to your wife was maybe we was showing up because it was like after the searching and trying on different relationships of like, okay, yeah. Like, was it again, like when I'm hearing yes, it's sort of like I'm hearing it in the back of your head. Like, yes, yes, yes. Like you're like, were you thinking like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to settle down or this stuff. And that you're just like kept hearing yes. Is that how you meant it in, in reference to Christina, your wife? Yeah, she and I knew each other for a long time, as you know. <laughs> I was like, uh, I happened to introduce Jason right. to his wife as she uh, Thanks, has Trisha. been one of, yeah, she we was. met the first day of college oh my in 1999. Gosh. Incredible. And we've known each other since then. So Jason has known his wife through me for many years. Wow, that's right. So she knew that I'm a super normal, super regular, <laughs> and very regular guy. She knows all of my personal uh, charms. Yeah, and honestly, she really knew you well because Jason and I worked closely for many years and Christina has always been one of my most valued friends and she's someone that you trust and you talk to in the heart of gold and that you can tell anything. So Christina was the person I would vent to Jason about, actually. (laughs) So she did know you really well. Oh, you would you would vent to Christina about working with me? Yeah, like in those times where like we, yeah, like there were sometimes we were like working very closely together for years. And if you're venting about your like boss or whatever, then yeah. So I was like, (laughs) she did know you as the regular guy. So (laughs) we we dated once, I think, in 2010. But I was, you know, she was married to her career, and I was married to being my career, and dating lots of people and I tried dating others and it, yeah, so it was a little wishy-washy and I thought I wanted something more convenient or something more like me in the music world and I don't know, egoic, young, horny, you have different motives at different ages in your life and I don't regret a single relationship. I've loved every one. I've only dated rad people. I, I might have regret some of the ways I got out of those relationships because I just didn't have the tools, didn't have the communication skills, but I don't regret any of it. It all contributed to where I am and who I am now. And uh, so Christine and I decided we'd get back together or give it another shot, regardless of our schedules. There was something about each other that we really loved and admired and it served. Like we, we had similar visions and similar projects we wanted to do side by side without having to change who we are, which was spectacular. And it just kept growing. It kept growing. It felt really good. And the entire time I'm writing, yes, she's coming into my life and nourishing my soul in ways that are feeding the songs. It's feeding my work. It's growing a garden in my life, literally tomatoes (laughs) in the backyard, as well as music. That it just, that constant yes, that it felt so good. That's why yes was yes. And the week that the album came out, I proposed to her. That's right. And she said yes when the album Yes debuted in the world. Was that then like, so yeah, again, like tying into like yes, where you're relating it to making them with Jane's and your wife. Is that how it sort of fit like, and she will be my wife? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, subliminally, subconsciously, yes, yes, because I mean, I was talking to my astrologer, like, is this the girl? And my astrologer's like, yes, this is the one. She's your Venus. She's a banker. You're a farmer. You work really well together. <laughs> my astrologer likes the farmer's almanac. So I'm way into that. <laughs> do you still talk to Nova regularly? I sometimes do. You know what? Anybody can make a million dollars, Trisha, but. Billionaires use astrologers. <laughs> oh, really? Is yeah. that proven? It's not proven, <laughs> but it's what she says. <laughs> and she's a billionaire, oh. thanks to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. No, I, I am interested. She's not very expensive, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be linking Nova in the show notes. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. That would be a great podcast. We no, Talk but, to Nova. We could, but we also, we could put her information in the show notes if anybody wants to reach out to Nova as their astrologist. That's a good idea. Wow. Her daughter's been training under her to oh. take over. It's really sweet. Yeah. But yeah, so Jason has used an astrologist for how long now? 20 years. Bill Silva introduced me right. to her. Yeah. And how, yeah, how often do you feel like you talk to her? Oh. It's gotten less and less once a year now, sometimes every 18 months. And get, she just gives you, like, looks at your chart, shows you what's coming up, what she uh -huh. sees for you. Yep. And what it helps is for people who think it's hocus pocus, it's data and it, it's there to confirm your intuition because you're already going to be living it that way and thinking yeah. and feeling certain ways. And if someone outside of you is just looking at numbers and stars yeah. and says, hey, this happens and this happens and this feels, and it suddenly feels synchronistic, then go with it, right? So it's worked for me for a long time in ways of where should I live? The quality of life should I live? In a city versus the country? How often do I need to put my hands in the dirt? Uh, when should I tour? When should I not? Um, I'm just going to, you said the word should a lot in a row. So okay. I'm just going to. No problem. Just in the future, you'll shift that to where do I want to tour? Okay. Where do I want to live? But yes, it's going through your life. You were asking these questions to yourself, and it was nice to have that data. Yeah. I guess I used the word should in that these were recommendations by no, the astrologer. I get it. I just like, it's my job to myself to acknowledge that word shift because I am a big proponent of eliminating the word should from my vocabulary because did you see how much powerful those shifts sounded? Where should I live? Where do I want to live? When should I tour? When do I want to tour? Right. So I get, I, like, obviously I know we all use the word should, but the people out there listening probably. You're powerful. No, I always talk about eliminating the word should, so I just felt like I needed to, <laughs> to tap into Thanks that. Thanks for the reminder. I'm <laughs> yeah. shooting all over myself. <laughs> you were talking past tense in that, yeah, and that how using the astrology helped you to probably get beyond that should and to feel what, to be able, because that's often the switch with should and want is that you're trying more into your intuition, which we fight. Yeah. And that's what, when you ask yourself, what do I want? It is a more challenging question because then you are like, ah, shit, I don't, what do I want? It's easier to just say, what should? Come on, people, give me some suggestions. Let me follow someone else's blueprint. Wow. What shows up there? The more powerful question is, what do I want? Because then it's like, ah, I have to actually like then answer my own question. Oh my gosh. Fuck, what do I want? When do I want to tour? What music do I want to play? I have to ask myself that and listen. 
Um, so that's yeah. great. <laughs> so using astrology though, then does, like you said, that was my experience. I've had different, I don't have a, I also, I had used, uh, Christina's astrologer. You also had that in common. So she was the main person I had ever used. And that was my experience. And I would talk to her in times where I was definitely like, not sure what I was doing with my life, feeling I needed shifts or something when my father passed away, different times when I had had those conversations. And it was like a great, like being able to tap into intuition because it wasn't like they're telling you, here is your future and we are showing you this, what will happen. But it it was like showing data that made me be able to trust myself more. Or if it was a time of, this is a time where you're going to be more tuned into yourself. And that's why I find it. I'm not like obsessed with astrology and moon cycles and stuff, but I do love hearing those. Oh, that's what's happening with the moon. I've had an off day. Great. I can just blame it on the moon or like <laughs> not blame it, but just be like, be okay with it. Yeah. Be okay with I, today wasn't my most productive day and I felt kind of funky and that's okay that I, a lot of times it does have to do with astrology and moon, but it's also then gives ourselves more permission to like, Hey, everything's not a bright sunshiny day every day, yep. which, which also reminds me this, um, I often remember this day on tour with you when I was touring as joyologist and I don't remember the day or where we are. I feel like we were overseas and you just looked at me and said, why is everything or like, why is every day different? Or like, why isn't every day the same or something like that? Because you were having, it was a day where things were like, you weren't like, yay, life. Or I don't know if it was interviews or what was happening. And it just was like the most, it's just like such a simple question, but the most profound of like, why isn't every day the same? Like, why don't I feel great and awesome and whatever? Like, I don't, you know, like can't remember that attention, but it was sort of like, I think you were having a harder day of living your amazing dream life where you're traveling around the world performing to thousands of people who want to sign your, have you sign things and hug them. And like, you know, it's like you are, you live your dream. You're playing your original music, but some days don't feel as great as others, huh? No, they don't. So yeah, it's good to have as many tools as you can to, to comfort yourself through those days. And like, yeah, I can just be like the permission of like, instead of getting so deep into why am I off today? Why am I not feeling it? Why am I not like, hmm. Yeah. Maybe just it's off the today. moon. Or yeah. like, like, hey, I'm having an off day. And that it helps to apply that and be okay with it and just be like, well, again, so how am I going to get on stage and have an awesome show? Yeah. How do you do that? It's gotten easier now. Now I just get on stage and have an awesome show. <laughs> because that usually is the remedy. Yeah. If I uh, if I'm having an off day, it's just because my brain is so busy being a pain in the ass, and I start to or I've or I've just uh, squandered my time because now we have a phone and we can look at emails or we can look at texts, and it may not be the best time to look at those things, but they're right there, and so if you see them, it suddenly adds to what the brain is having to. Uh, sort and for me i'm i'm always sorting priorities like okay what do i need to I need to call this person back by a certain time i need to give this person an answer i need to advance this blah, blah 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 and if i do too much of that i can really spin myself out and not have a good time so i've learned to to put that down but the best remedy for not having a great day even on a show day is just finally getting on stage because once i'm there like, oh yeah, this is why I do everything else. 
is to surrender to this music, is to have my body vibrate, to breathe, to have these controlled exhales, to sing these words. Oh my gosh, the words that I've written, my former self wrote these songs that when I walk out on stage, I'm transformed by them. I'm saying all these positive things and I get to experience them. I get to recreate these transformative moments on stage. So the best remedy for me is that if, if right before I hit the stage, I'm still wrecked, there's always yoga. And like even 10 minutes of shavasana can reset my whole system, which is really great. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So like in those moments when you're not like you can't see once I get on stage, I, like, I mean, like what are the tools that you pull on to be like, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to have to get on stage. I yeah. what how, what's going to shift this? That, yeah. Yeah. Nowadays I just shut everything down. It's going to be like 26 minute nap or I'm going to go 26 minute nap or I'm going to go do a little flow, a little yoga, a little shavas, something that will just stop the busyness, stop the busy work, get people out of my face, and reset, reset, reset the system. So that has become my my trick, which is really nice when I'm on the road. Back in the day, it was slam doors, break guitars. I turned a fruit basket into fruit juice once just by punching it. I mean, I just destroyed it. And my dad was in the room, and he felt, I think he was crying a little bit. Because you oh, saw me having like a, this yeah. little mini nervous breakdown. That was long, long time ago. It was pre-2005, 2006. And after that, uh, after those episodes, that's when I actually started to get into yoga and better eating. I stopped smoking cigarettes, stopped drinking so much coffee. I was and, about to just ask, do you remember like what made you shift? Or was it just someone showing up and being like, showing you this other way? Or were you just like, I can't carry on like this anymore? Or what made you start to shift into taking better care of yourself? A little of both. Um, seeing it in others, like great teachers, like Denise Kaufman, a yoga teacher. Um, people I was surfing with, like Andy Powers, Tristan Prettyman and her family. Uh, I would go surfing and feel amazing, but then I'd get in my car and have a cigarette and feel not amazing. So I was like, okay, these don't go well together. So prior to surfing, were you not someone that really like do fitness stuff? Yeah, I was like, what? Do you, I'm like, what do you guys call it? Yeah, girls are like, I didn't do it. I didn't. So surfing was your first like into like, oh, moving my body. I'm being active. Like, yeah, full range of motion. I need to be able to breathe and. Yeah, I need to be able to have endurance and stamina because I'd go out and paddle and my arms would be tired and within five minutes I could hardly breathe. So I, I stopped smoking. Surfing was really what helped me stop smoking. Is Tristan what got you into surfing or did you start before dating uh, No, Tristan. Shout out Tristan. Shout Brady out Tristan P and, and her family. For how do you start surfing? You get in the water. That's it. Like I looked at the ocean for years, but I didn't know how to start. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I needed, but... She and her family, they were like, here's a board, get a wetsuit, go out, get in the water. And they didn't, they can't teach you. Nobody can teach you how to surf. You just have to get in. Because sure enough, the first time she paddles out to the outside, catches waves, and I'm on the inside just getting tossed. But that's how it starts. That's how it works. And then you just keep showing just up. Keep it's easy showing to be like, oh, up. that's not for me. Maybe I'm embarrassed because my girlfriend's killing it and I just got pummeled or like. Yeah, all that. And what a humiliating and like. Um, 
with their family. But brilliant, though, like brilliantly humiliating. You learn humility through that process. I mean, that's surfing is why I got the word beginner tattooed on my arm because everybody out there who's my age is crushing it in the water. And I'm this guy, beginner. But because I'm a beginner, I don't know what a good day and a bad day is. I just know I'm in the water. I'm having a blast. So I never wanted to forget that. So I got beginner tattooed on my arm. So I'm sitting out there in the water with all these macho dudes. I can show them my macho tattoo that's like, hey, guess what? <laughs> beginner. I suck. I'm a beginner, but you know what? I'm having a blast. So you, it's none of my business what you think of me. Right. It's also like, oh, I don't care if they're judging me because, oh, it's okay because I'm a beginner. So I'm not going to judge myself because I'm not as good as them because I'm a beginner here. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember getting back in the car. We, we surfed on Christmas morning, which was like California. That's what you can do, right? So we surfed on Christmas morning, I got back in the car, and I'm asking Tristan and her family, I was like, do you guys ever feel like you want to throw up after you surf? <laughs> They're like, no. Like, <laughs> I mean, I would get tossed. I mean, you puked in the water several times. I've seen you. Oh, that's right. Wavos, you <laughs> don't, yeah. don't eat. Yeah. And then go surfing. And then surfing. <laughs> so anyway, I would meet people like this who would champion new ways of being and a new lifestyle for me both in yoga and in surf and in diet. And in uh, and it, I just started to become transformed. And then also because of the things I wanted to do with my time, I wanted to be healthier. I wanted to be happier. I didn't want to, I wanted to have mastery over my nervous system because when I was drinking too much coffee and smoking cigarettes, I would have these panic attacks and freak outs and I'd smash things because I didn't know how to communicate or control myself. So I wanted to I wanted yeah. to beat that. Wait, and I think, yeah, I was talking about that too. Like to be on stage or to be in an interview or to be in the recording studio, wherever you are, that you're doing these big parts of your job that are epic, but also can bring up nerves or that then too, then that the things you're putting in your body are affecting you. Or even yeah. today you offered me coffee and I was like, I would love to have coffee and I will take sips, which I did. But I'm like, I know I, cause I need to be centered. I need to be more calm. And if I have coffee, which I have that insight. And so then were you then like, oh, for me to be doing my job better. Yeah. My dream, yeah. my, which is also my job. That I need to change. How can I do yeah. that? Yep. So I started, I stopped eating fast food. I mean, I was living on 7-Eleven hot dogs and yeah. Jack in the Box. I do remember when I first came into work with you, what your rider. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. I it was don't, like peanut well, butter and jelly. Yeah, and I do. Or, and I even remember the first time I came to your house when I, that it was like your entire pantry was like Jif peanut, like brought home from tour. And yeah, like, <laughs> it was all this stuff from the dressing room. It was like, yeah, like. My pantry things. looked like 7-Eleven. It was Cheez-Its, Honey yeah. Bears, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> it was like, I mean, like a hundred jars of Jif peanut butter. Cases yes, of you. <laughs> And then, wow, has that shifted? Because then time. we ended up going back on the road with dehydrator, dehydrator, spiralizer, spiralizer, juicer, Vitamix, uh, coolers to carry raw foods around. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a pain in the ass at first, but it it wasn't because I it was making me feel so good, right. And that's, I think, too, that sometimes people can, they don't, it can be hard to change whatever it's your life, whether it's what you're eating or, you know, oh, I need to start, start taking care of myself. I don't have time for exercise or I don't have to wake up to do it or whatever. But then once you start doing it and you feel the results, then it becomes. Yeah. We can get into that. I was probably going to be like in the beginning of an episode, talk about it. But yeah, Trisha Huffman's first dream career was to be a live sound engineer. 
And you did it well. And I worked my butt off and I made it happen. And I became Jason Mraz's monitor engineer, which is the person that is on stage controlling what every single person on stage is hearing. They each have their own mix. Right. It's a high pressure job, yo. It is because the band performs best when they hear themselves very well. Which means that's the job of the monitor engineer. Yeah. So of course they need to play and play well. But I have to make sure that the sound is good and that each person is also, again, they get their own mix so that they can, like, Jason might need more kick drum and he wants to hear the background vocals a lot. I don't even remember yeah, your mix. Sure, I'm just sure, making sure. shit up. And you need to hear your voice a lot, obviously. But some singers don't. They want it mixed in, whatever. The drummer yeah. needs a lot of bass. Like, everybody has their own mix. I need mix. more reverb on my vocals so it sounds good in my ears. Yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so you're mixing for every single person on stage. And you did it for Dolly Parton. Yeah, for Natalie Cole. Yeah, Yeah, for John Cougar Mellencamp. No, Tom Cochran. Oh, Tom Cochran. Who we opened for John Mellencamp. But but that was amazing because I grew up. I grew up with like my father like played John Mellencamp's music all the time. So then I was like, oh my god, I'm touring with With, my dad's. Like these are the songs I grew up on. So super cool. Yeah. So, So that's what you did. I met you through sound. I got yes a sign. You got the gig tour through sound image. Who's XLA R cables I'm using right now to record this episode. Yeah, I have a sound image ladder in my garage. <laughs> Shout out Sound Image. Thanks to Dave Shadone and all our friends at Sound Image, Escondido, California, Nashville. So that's how Jason and I first started working together. We've been through a lot. What also became the like point of me stopping doing sound and moving into what became the joyologist was the sudden passing of my father where I was shattered and flew from the funeral to tour in Australia (laughs) as a mess. And then finally it was like, which was, that was the I'm Yours tour. That was going to be the big, big, like big tour. We're going to be on tour for the year. So that was a hard choice for me to then be like, I can't do this. I'm a mess. And I took time off. So that was, I believe, early 2008. 2008. Yeah, Father died in March. that was a 22-month tour. That so I, you left in the middle of... The very beginning. Yep. And dealt with some personal matters, some family matters, and rethought, what does Trisha want to do with her I life? came... And uh, I lived at Jason's house while he was on tour to take care of his cat because I was supposed to be on tour for the year and I had no money. He was in gone and ended up working out because you didn't have anybody to watch Holmes. That's right. My kitty. Um, and that's when I eliminated the word should for my life. And you started to, you went to yoga teacher training. I got certified as yoga teacher training. Started cooking and doing the raw food diet stuff. Yep. I was always into that wellness and taking care of myself because that's, because I had fibromyalgia. So I would be on tour doing yoga, eating well, doing all of these things. And now I finally like took a hiatus from my life, was in one place to finally actually start making food myself. Okay. I love yoga. I don't see myself at a studio, but I know I have this and that. So why not get trained right now? I take this time. I eliminated the word should from my life. And so then I did every day. What am I doing today? What do I want to do? What do I want to eat? What do I like? What am I going to do next? I had lived my biggest dream of being a sound engineer and I made it happen. And it was epic. Yeah, I went all over the world. I was good at it. People paid me good money. I got to do good things. But it still wasn't fully fulfilling. And I I knew I was ready for something else. Um, And so my father's passing made me wake up to like, I take such great care of myself and am in tune with my own thoughts. 
I'm walking around every day seeing these people that aren't having a happy life and they their lives could end tomorrow because my dad's just mm, in. He mm. was found dead in his car. Oh. He slipped and hit his head. Right. And died and, of hypothermia. Right. Got like, in his car. Because and didn't shut the door all the way and passed out. Uh, like it's a, like I'm saying you to that, you guys, because like again, it's a freak like when I'm saying you could die tomorrow, it might not be cold where you are, but like weird things happen. Yeah. And so that very much was a like, hey, live your life. Yeah. And I also toured with these major artists, some of which Jason named, including himself. Yeah. And as you mentioned, yeah, you beat some fruit up and like you weren't having great days. So I saw people that I'm like, wow, I'm living my dream. These people are living their dreams. Yeah. But maybe they're not like enjoying it. Yeah. Maybe they could use some more resources to help them sustain the happiness of their dream. You know, we also go through life sometimes thinking we're going to live forever, that we can do stuff later, that we can put stuff off till later. Like, you know what? I may not be happy today, but I'll I'll be happy next month when this job is over. And I think yep. that is that can lead to suffering. That mm-hmm. can lead to really not enjoying an entire month of your life yeah. or more. So you came back and offered, hey, I want to rejoin the tour, but I want to offer different services. Do you remember how it happened? Well... In early 2008, I don't, but I do remember I had had a brief chef on yeah. the road, Orion, yeah, who introduced Toka and I to raw food and smoothies because Toka was having diabetic episodes. I'm sorry to bring Toka's personal life into this podcast, but Toka was having health issues. So we said, let's reverse it through diet. We both changed our diet and had phenomenal results. We wanted to continue doing that And at the same time, as our relationship continued to grow, Trisha and I, we were starting to do transformative workshops through Cafe Gratitude, through Landmark Education. That started after Joyologist. Really? Mm -hmm. After 2009? I thought we did some of it in 2009. Oh, maybe Gratitude. There was some Gratitude intro. Anyway, we were starting to get into that work and we're really moved by it. And so Trisha then presented the idea to me. This is how I remember it that you could offer those basic Orion services and yoga yeah, and backstage vibe. We didn't know what we we're going to call it, but something to help keep the joy level up rather than suffer from this 22-month tour that's been going on. And well, so, and that's also like, so seeing that I joined, but also then seeing the tour life where people probably think like, seems like amazing where it is. Like you get to travel and see the amazing places, but it's so hard and such long works and the dressing rooms are a lot of places, times not nice. The catering is not very healthy or it's like, here's some fruit salad and a, like salad. Like even if you're asking for certain things, it's not great. The environment itself, you're working so hard. So even if you were the like most of sound insightful person like it's it's just it is like their work it's a yeah. it's hard your work every day is a different days. town you're so also just wanting to inject general health into that but what that was my intention i'm going to go back on the road cuz that was the world i knew but tell me more what i don't think that you would have been able or maybe you didn't believe in it or were able to sold, sell that to your people at that part what happened was at Teray, you guys were grow- the tour was growing. You needed a production assistant. Uh-huh. Trisha, you're missed out on the road. I didn't want to do sound anymore, so I wasn't taking that job back. Oh, we need a production assistant. Oh. And I said, he said, is that below you? 
which by if any production assistants working here, I'm not meaning that, but me, production assistants are hard ass working people. It's a big job, but just he didn't know if that would be, if I would want to go back on the tour and not do sound, but do that. I said, I would love to be the production assistant, but this is what I really want to happen. I'm going to come out on the road and be the production assistant, but I'm going to convert that into this new job because I want this. I uh-huh. want, I'm going to start making smoothies. I'm going to lead yoga. I'm going to do all of these things and I'm creating a new position. So I went out with the production assistant title and was doing those things. But I also then was working my butt off yeah. to, I'm going to make your dressing room nice, Jason. I'm going to do this. Here's a smoothie. Here's a juice. Here's, can you, will you do yoga with me? And a road case that was a mobile like well, kitchen set Because I think it was only a week or so into the tour. Then you said, what is Trisha doing? <laughs> I want this to be her full-time job. Ooh. So we hired a new production assistant and we built the road case (laughs) and I got my dressing room and we made it happen. But so like you did see that and believe in me, but then it was again, like what I'm saying is like, if you want to do something, just make it happen. That I could have just been selling people, this is what I'm going to do for you. But instead I just went and made it happen. And then for someone to be like, oh yes, I need this. this. We need more of this. Yeah. (laughs) So then, and that's, and then Etray was like, okay, so Trisha's the joyologist. So he just threw that word oh, out. Oh, really? How about that? And it stuck. <laughs> oh, today's his birthday. Yay! Oh, Etray is Jason's longtime That's production manager and front of house engineer, which Etray and I first started on your tour. And we did Natalie Cole together. We did Tom Cochran together That's right. as well as Did he bring you in to the tour? Nope. We just happened to be new on assigned at the same time. Yeah. And then he How about liked that? my worth ethic. Yeah. Ethic and so if you've ever been to a concert since 2008 uh, and you've liked how it sounds... That's E.T. That's E.T. That's right. He makes it sound real good out there. You can't even tell I'm lip syncing. (laughs) Anyway, so summarizing of Jason and I's relationship. And so, yeah, so then we also, so it was much about physical body, but then, as you said, we were getting into more of this transformational work and that I also then wanted to be that person that if you were having a bad day, to instead of there being slamming doors and you be in a bad mood and everybody else be walking on eggshells, not just saying you, anybody, bosses, anywhere that someone's in a position of power or the boss or whatever, that a lot of times people are walking on eggshells and not having the hard conversations with those people for fear of they won't like me. Am I going to get kicked off the tour? Am I going to get fired? And so I like, hey. Hey, you living your best life? (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, we would have clearings <laughs> where we would just kind of um, talk about what was coming up. Talk about what was coming up. I How mean, you're feeling? And it's and it's not that every day was a stress fest, and we were trying to constantly heal something broken. It wasn't. It was just. Almost like, how can we continue to turn up the vibe? How can we continue to break down walls and crank up the joy to create? sustainable joy. And that's what I got out of the experience were new practices, how I could take better care of myself, how to use yoga in my schedule, how to continue to eat better and pack differently to support my food and my habits, how to communicate better. Yeah. Just different ways of being and uh, techniques that could uh, sustain the joy through the process. It was cool. Really? Yeah. Like all encompassing. And it's really just... 
training and getting used to like listening to yourself and your body. Like, I'm not feeling this great. Like, oh, maybe it's because I didn't, I need to eat more of this. Or maybe it's because I'm annoyed about that thing that was said. Or maybe it's because I said yes when I really wanted to say no. Maybe it's because I need to create a better boundary with that person. Maybe it's because of this. So it's just really like tapping in and that you brought me on and maybe not fully in that role at the time of more was more wellness. But then I was like, I'm committed to it being more full on full wellness <laughs> yeah. ayurvedic wellness full, mind body and spirit yeah and so that like hey like it's uncomfortable for me to come in and check in on you right now and you might be upset with me <laughs> but we have to have challenging conversations and get through it because it's not like it's just for everybody's betterment because also like if you're more clear and enjoying your life and your job and if you're saying yes when you really want to say yes and no when you really want to say yes, it, it benefits everybody. Everybody. And that's the entire camp. And that's also like, I was so used to being on tours, but it's like everybody's then walking around in a weird funk because they don't know something's off and we can't approach it or that. So, hmm. so yeah. That was a good time. <laughs> and then I'm happy though that that was also the point that like we created these things that you still then fall back on, that you can pull out yoga and that have the healthy eating blueprint for yourself. Yeah. Speaking of that then, so let's say that's like on the tour. We said if something's going up, do you have daily practices at home that you do to let your like rounded, centered, feeling your best, like anything you do in the morning? Do you remember? This is the way like when we first started working together. So before you were really into like wellness stuff, there was like this thing where it was like 15 spins and 15, what was that called? The five Tibetan rites. Okay. Do you ever do that again? I think about, what Every was it? Every day. No way, do I you? I still do them. Still, but you did it consistently for like 10, however many years we've known each other. I've done it. You just go back. Very consistently. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know. No. If if only thing I, I've done now is I've actually expanded on it. So... It was one of the first yoga practices that I was ever taught that was really easy to remember and easy to do. And it was almost silly. So it was kind of fun to <laughs> do I'm it. Like, I'm like, I just remember like the spinning of it. But I've also been wanting to ask you because I'm like, maybe that'll be a good thing for me to start. Because it's like, yeah, you don't need, it's like, you do this, you do this, you do this. Yeah. So it was pitched to me as these are the exercises that Tibetan monks do before they sit and meditate all day. So they have to have their bodies loose and they got to have the chi flowing so that they can do whatever they do as monks, right? I'm like, okay, what are they? And five exercises. The first one is spin around clockwise. Put your arms out. Two right? shoulders. Okay, there we go. And spin around clockwise. Look over your right arm and spin around clockwise. Seven, 14, or 21 times. Oh, okay. Seven so times. you can do each exercise only seven times or 14 times or 21 but times. But you ch- choose the... Se- so if you're doing seven, you do seven of each thing or you just can pick and choose? I pick and choose. Okay. I live, <laughs> uh, I live my the, the life I imagined. <laughs> okay. So like the spinning, I'm not always down for 21 spins. <laughs> yeah. Seven it's is just fine. <laughs> If I'm feeling crazy, I'll do 14. (laughs) 21 is a rare day where I spin around. Imagine getting out of bed and spinning around. It gets you going. It gets the juices in your brain spinning. You get dizzy. (laughs) What do you do next? So then you got to stand there for at least a minute and let the juices in your brain chill because you're dizzy. Okay. 
Then the next one is a kind of a crunch. It's kind of a sit up. So you can do it seven, 14, or 21 times. Okay. Easy. I always do Lay 21 down. because you got to have that beach body okay. no matter what. <laughs> 21. So we do, Jason's spitting right to play on his seventh spin. <laughs> 21, 21 sit ups. <laughs> and then uh, there is like a camel pose, kind of a back bend, which. Um, is a front stretch. A lot of people think back bends are something for your back, but they actually help stretch your front body. On your knees, hands on your hips. Yeah, okay. And do a camel pose, sort of inhale back, exhale forward, and you, you do it as a vinyasa. Exhale forward, meaning up to straight, or like forward? Like, do you go like down, like a child's actually, pose? Actually, I do inhale, up, straight, lean back, exhale. Uh. <laughs> And that, then, wait that, a minute. Oh, was back. Hang on. <laughs> Typically, I inhale as I rise uh-huh. and I exhale as I fall. But so, when where are you falling back to? Like back to the ground or back to just sta- just back to standing? Oh, are you doing it standing or kneeling? Kneeling on okay. my knees. Got it. Yep, just okay. back and up, back and up, back and up. So, so we got spins. Yeah, the next one is a crunch. tabletop. So, like cat cow? Nope. Oh. Um, opposite. What's the tabletop? Like when you're seated, legs out front, and I'll I'll typically do like oh. a um, calf and reverse hand. tabletop. So yes. like you're putting your belly button towards to the, the sky. sky. <laughs> yep. So I'm seated, feet out. Got it. I put my hands beside my. As you put your head back, and I uh-huh. I leave my heel grounded on the mat. And I push myself up to a reverse tabletop, belly to the sky. That's one. And then back down yeah. is one. So I do that 714. I try to do that one 21 times because it's almost like a dip. It feels really good in the chest and the arms. And then in my shoulder blades, it's a different, it, it reaches a different area. So anyway, I do those. Is that them? That's the fourth. That's the fourth. And the last one is a basically just um, down dog to up dog. Okay. That's what I thought there was. And that. you're kind of pumping almost yeah. like... Yeah, pumping it. Um, you eliminate chaturanga. I do that 21 times. And that's like you wake up in the morning. Well, I wake up, I probably have water and I pee, but then I Got get it. right to it. I just get it done. Because- I love that you still do it. Because I was just like, I remember years and years and years ago, you were talking yeah. about this and it's still implanted in my mind. Yeah. What's great about it is uh, you can do it in 10 minutes if you want or less if you want to just get something Get, get your body moving, or you can spend 30 minutes and do it. And now right. I'll actually add in Surya Namaskar A. You know, I'll do full sun salutations and add in a warrior sequence to it as well. Right, because once you start, then you're like, this feels good. Exactly, I'm there. What else? And I start to notice in my body, what else needs stretching? Yeah. What did I do yesterday that I'm waking up with today? So I put in an extra stretch on something. And now, right now, I'm really into balancing and I'm trying to open up my hips more and stretch more so I put in a little bit of time on one foot like grabbing a toe going putting out to my side so all of this still is grounded in those five Tibetan rites but I've just expanded on them and there's a great song I use it's called Devi Prayer by Craig Pruce it's on Jason's meditation station if you were to go on my Spotify we can link this in the show notes it's a 22 minute track and it's a great length for doing your practice for me, it's a great length because if I put the track on, I know roughly when it starts to wrap up around, you know, I have two minutes left because the chant changes. And I know at that point, I can kind of put myself into Shavasana or start wrapping it up. But at least I give myself that 22 minutes of, you know, me time 
to just feel really great. So that, okay. So that's something you do pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Is there any other like regular practice that, or like something, maybe it's not you don't don't do every day, but something you come back to when you feel like you're having a day that's like, ah, and you're like, I'm supposed to be writing right now and I can't get there or like ways to get out of your head. Besides, we talked about yoga before on for the yeah. stage as well. Yeah, like, I mean, if I'm supposed to be writing and I can't get there, I just start writing something. I just pick up an instrument and I start singing something because sometimes writing is, you can't just write. Sometimes you just can't write because your brain is saying, well, write something's fool, yeah. you fool. Whereas if I put the pen down and I just start singing, then a truth starts to come out. Got it. And then I can turn that into writing, you know? Yeah. So for me as a writer, I've learned how to just be able to create. I know how to write things. I'm never stifled in that world. And uh, so now, like, I know you to often always be like, oh, so-and-so is, we're coming over to writing. There's people writing. Oh, Jason has these people like writing. Mm -hmm. That is that not just always for like a plan of, okay, an album's, in my mind, is that just something is like your nature of like, I must keep creating? Yeah, I like that feeling. If I don't create for two weeks, I notice it. I notice it big time. So, but I can create in my journal, I can write haiku yeah. and love it and get the same reward as writing a song. If those three lines in that haiku are brilliant, I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'm good for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I do, I get the same joy out of gardening. If I, put in a few hours building a garden bed that is backbreaking work. But at the end of the day, it looks really nice. And I know my drip tape is there and I can put in my <laughs> seeds and I'm going to grow some corn right here. I'm going to grow some popcorn. I'm actually growing popcorn this season. I'm excited about it. It's just a different starchy variety. Uh, yeah, I didn't variety. even know, but I guess that would make sense. You're not just growing corn. It's, pop- it's popcorn. So it's a little, I think, I want to say it's starchier. It's, it's It would be very difficult to eat it off the cob, yeah. but you can... Huh put it in the oil and it turns into popcorn. You don't have to do any drying or processing. It literally comes right off the corn cob into your pot and you can eat it. The last time I was here and you were in farmer mode. Yeah. And I thought about, I wonder, I bet that having those, that farmer time must be useful to your creative mind because you're there like doing physical work but right to like ideas and thoughts come to you oh that you're like, gosh. oh, this song, like that you've like given yourself yes. this space to create unintentionally or intentionally, perhaps. Totally. Yep. I mean, and you never know what's going to pop up. I mean, that's a cool thing about working on a garden is you have a task in front of you. And when you're working at Earth Pace, you know, it's going to, everything is going to have its season. So you're just, you're really practicing patience. You're nurturing something and you're having patience simultaneously my creative mind is resting or I'm watering an idea subconsciously. Um, One easy sort of surface example is about a year ago, I'm in my garden, I'm working on some stuff and I'm listening to music out loud. There's some jazz on, on the speakers out in the the garden and, uh, and there's this funky sax solo happening over a funky track. I don't know what it was, but it made me think of Carlos Sosa, who's a sax player. And I was getting ready to do a gig, a charity gig in Vegas with a new configuration of a band I was putting together. And I I knew at that moment, I said, I got to bring Carlos. I got to get him (laughs) to that gig. And I I wasn't 
in work mode when I was gardening. But that yeah. idea came up and I text him and I said, do you want to come to Vegas and do this thing? And a couple of months later, I'm at that show, I'm on stage and I'm having that moment realized where I'm sitting in this funky jam <laughs> and Carlos has taken the solo and I almost cried mm. because I said, this is the moment that I, this is, I'm eating the fruit of the seed that I planted a few yeah. months ago. So the garden has the same exact effect. You put a seed in, you nurture it. 110 days later, your popcorn is ready and you're cooking it with your friends and it's amazing. So I've learned a lot from both worlds. How I've just learned a lot of patience and care. Yeah. But, and I was also seeing that by giving yourself this, like, you're not like, I have to create today or you're like, so you don't maybe have pressure on yourself, but you're just in the garden working and sort of like you took that pressure off yourself and then it gives your mm. mind the space so that you might have this idea of that. Like that's something I've realized in becoming a mother. I don't have as many work hours for how my life is structured right now. And so I can sometimes feel like, oh, I don't have that time to work. But what I've then tapped into the same thing, like I could be doing dishes and all of a sudden I have this thought and I'm like, okay. And so I'm like addicted to Google Docs on my phone and I have a new doc, like, you know, and that's just like open that, type it down. And because I'm someone that will forget uh -huh, everything. Uh -huh. And it's just like, now I feel like instead of being like, I don't have enough time, that it's just like, I've taken that like pressure of time off or like you need to do this much work by today. And now it's like because of that, that it's just sort of like my mind has allowed these different thoughts and ideas to come in and that a lot of my like, yes, thoughts end up being in time where I'm just when I'm not trying to force them. And yep. so like wondering then too, if like song or creative ideas come to you when you're Oh, out there. Totally. The and, best ones do. What, yeah. what do you do then? Like, are you someone that's like, I'm going to come back to this? You don't probably have your Google, your phone to write a note like you, or do you run? Do you write a note? Yeah. Like all of the above. I try to, if I, if my phone is close by, I'll sing the idea in my voice memo. I'll write it down on a voice memo. If I have a pen handy, I'll write it on my hand or something. But, but you're the same way. Like I, know, I gotta. Yeah. I know that my ideas don't, hang around same they might resurface but we don't know when that's gonna be yeah it's crazy so yeah so then you're just like oh stop listen jot it down and then get back to work or will you like sometimes be like oh i gotta go work on this right now or just it's a jotting it down now, i can usually just jot it down i'm a collector yeah yeah same are you comfy on that couch yeah i just okay. realized i was leaning onto a weird place okay. in my arm okay let's go back to doubts, fears, pressure, worries, the negative thought patterns. So that now that, isn't it funny? I'm sure you're recording. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my doubts and fears that you are recording. <laughs> well, either way, we've had an epic conversation <laughs> afternoon. We Jason. have. My cat heard some of it. Mark Wilson <laughs> heard two sentences as he walked by. It's like all we've taped was, it's real. We <laughs> peeled off the plastic. Yeah. That's the episode. <laughs> when you were starting out, mm -hmm. you mostly had the night naivete. You were, if judgment thoughts or anything came up, you, you were still like, this is happening, this is happening. Once you maybe like then had the record deal, we're in the studio or a record two or record three or towards the end when you're like, I only have one record left in my contract. Or when you're getting to bigger shows. That's another thing too, I, you know, in my experience, you haven't 
you like the smaller venues when you go to a bigger venue. Mm -hmm. Is that just you don't feel as attached to the audience because they're farther away? Or do you have a fear or doubt of of your performance? Just basically trying to tap into like, wow, Jason, you've done it. You're living your dreams. Mm -hmm. What kind of thoughts come up for you? And what are the like sort of harder moments that you've had to get around in that? Or if you remember a certain time or year or when those things come up? Through the years, I fine-tuned it to be the kind of experiences that I know bring me joy and that I'm comfortable working in. So you just talked about big venues versus little Mm -hmm. venues. When we started to blow up after I'm yours and then I won't give up was right after that. Things were big. Things were, we were in big venues all the time, tens of thousands of people a night. And it was, for some reason, it wasn't the same. It didn't feel, it felt a little more, I want to use the word generic because to tell, for me to tell a story or to communicate with 10,000 people, it's harder than communicating with 2,000. 2,000 in a theater is a focused group in a theater. Okay. This is my personal experience as a performer. And our, one of our biggest jobs is crowd control. You're there to, to take the audience on a transformational journey, entertain them for two hours. If they are a group of 10,000, you cannot keep tabs on everybody. There's a different crew happening in the lawn that is happening downstage right. And to me, that sucks. I'm just not interested in that. That's not my kind of performance. That's not my kind of crowd control. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to have to monitor both. And in order to monitor both, I have to really fine-tune my show and make my expressions very timed so that they land according to the echo Mm. of the room. They have a flow that doesn't lose the interest of the audience. And to me, it just becomes very, very calculated. Whereas when I'm in a theater... I can stop, I can tell a story, I can talk to everybody in the same room at once. So it's just a personal preference. And through that experience, I have, I had to push and pull with managers and agents who see the bigger room as a bigger payday. And I said, yeah, great, but the reward is not the same. Yeah, there's more money at the reward, but the joy level is Mm -hmm. way different. So I would rather have the bigger joy and the less money because it's life. Right. And so that was something you had to make. You saw for yourself and that it wasn't in that process of seeing that it wasn't for you. Did you then were like, well, wait, does this have something to do? Like, do I feel like I'm not good enough or something in this? And then being like, well, no, I just don't enjoy this experience. But like, did you yourself had to like fight with like, no, I can perform here like this, you know, like trying to make it be something that was yours. And then just realizing, you know what? I don't like playing these rooms and that's okay. Yeah, I tried. And then even on this last tour, last summer, we put ourselves in some bigger venues, but they were the occasional bigger venues. They weren't every night. So we rose to the occasion and we made it work and it was a blast. But yes, I have fine-tuned my experiences, I guess. I pick and choose the ones that I want to have, which is a luxury. It really is. Yeah. But in order to get there, I had to make some hard decisions on my journey. You know, I, I decided to leave my management office. I decided to reconnect with an old booking agent. I decided to um, just kind of do things myself, which in the dream world, it, it seems like, oh, that'll be so fun. 
But it's twice as much work. Yeah. Because you did, I didn't realize how much my management did for me until I didn't have a manager yeah. anymore. And I had to show up and make sure I followed up all those emails and all those requests that are coming in from so many different places about both performances and where your music shows up, where your name and likeness shows up, all that stuff, because you're a, yeah. I'm a public entity or something. So... Uh, I don't remember what your original question was, but yes, I had to Basically. do some shifting and some uncomfortable moves within yourself. Within yourself like I'm saying, like you had to stand up for yourself within yes. your management and stuff like that. But then also, like to get to a place for yourself to be like, this is actually the choice that I want. Yeah. And even though everyone is telling me no, Jason, uh -huh. this is what's best for you. Yeah. You yeah. can do this. You put on great shows and do that. And for you to listen to that and understand yeah. all of that and to just be like, yeah. Yeah, it was almost the same as dropping out of college moving to California. It's like somebody could have talked me out of it, but I didn't want them to. And someone could have talked me out of and kept playing bigger venues and making bigger money and staying with my management and trying to take over the world. But I didn't want that. It wasn't fulfilling to me. It just looked like more work and lesser joy. That's what it looked like. So I held my own. I made some uncomfortable decisions. I did what other people thought would be sacrifices or went backwards in trajectory because I had momentum and playing bigger venues is, looks like the natural trajectory. And I, want, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go backwards and play in smaller theaters where I could control the content and... It wasn't uncomfortable for me. I was saying, like, you're happy I loved it. Yeah. with your choices. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, with that. So then, yeah, talking about management and then labels or any sort of person like that that's had effect in your career, whereas has that been something that has been a challenge to navigate throughout the years where it's like, of course, they want you to be your best, what they see as their version of your best, which, so maybe you need to be on this or do this or promote this oh, or yeah. be there. And we're, you know, you're going to be the next this, or you need this kind of song or whatever. Like, how does that affect you? And how, I mean, again, you've now chosen these different things, but right. I'm guessing it different earlier in your career where you maybe weren't as clear and confident to listen to yourself. So what does that feel like when it feels like they're trying to make you do something or be something that you don't know if you resonate with? Well, through the years, I've gotten better at performing. So showing up and doing certain gigs is easier than it was back in the day. If I was ever hesitant to go on a TV show or have a certain look, most of my hesitation was because I wasn't prepared or I didn't value myself. Mm. I didn't think that I was worthy of playing Saturday Night Live or I didn't think I was worthy of receiving a Grammy, right? So even though my label, my management, my agents put me in those positions, there were there were a few times where I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing the Hollywood Bowl. I'll never sell that many tickets. Mm. But they would, I would rise to the occasion. I would learn how to do it thanks to their trust in me. So through the years, through experience, I became a better performer and learned to trust people when they saw me as greater than I saw myself. Yes. And that that helped. But I also learned through experience that, no, I've done that before and I don't want to do that again. You know, I've done nine hours of interviews in a row and mm -hmm. I don't want to do that again. I'll do one hour of interviews and I'll spread it out over nine days. So little things. I've I've claimed it for myself to give myself the kind of experience I want to have while living this dream. 
Yeah. I claimed it. I brought it back. Brought it in. Yeah. Which, and that's, that's also what was, you know, one of the things that in the work that I started with you and others is that that's one thing that I wanted to show up and to be a reminder for that, like, hey, you even in that, in one of the last rounds entitled me manager of integrity. Yeah, I like that. And it was to sort of remind you and to remind you of the different options that you have and not just this is what you're doing today. This is, we have this opportunity for you. We have that or whatever. And just to like be able to talk you through with things to be like, okay, but is that what you want? Or maybe if it's something that shows up to you as a no, to then like, well, let's see if it can be something that you can put yourself in that position for or something. And that just, I'm bringing that up because in the options of whoever you are in a public eye or, you know, working in your dream or something like that, that just to be looking at whether it's yes or no to like look deeper at it. And that's one of the, Thing when we bring back to yes and no, as we talked about earlier, that I think so many people are an automatic yes for one, wanting to please people, wanting to show up, but also like, well, yes sounds better than no most of the times. Anyway, like if I say no, does that mean I'm not afraid or I'm not enough or something like that? And to just hesitate on your yeses and to really see that you're allowed to say no, that that might be the bigger yes to yourself. Yeah. Or just like, why are you saying yes? And then also, why are you saying no? Is there a fear in there? Is it just because you want somebody to like you and then you're going to show up and you're going to be annoyed that you're doing it? (laughs) I don't even know. All right. I love no. Now, I I almost see no as like a punchline. It's comedy. I love it. Someone's like, hey, I'm doing this thing next Wednesday. And before they even finish, they're like, you know what? Nope. Nope. Something about that solid no that you can that you're really convinced it's a no. Like, I know this is a no. Oh, there's so much joy in that. Yeah. It feels good. That's why I say it's a punchline. It almost evokes laughter. Yeah. Because Jerry's really good at it, who we talked about earlier, Jerry, merch manager. Yeah. He's like, nope. He's just a solid no. And I feel like being able to be a solid no is someone that is just more in tune yeah. with yourself and more connected to yourself and what you value. And also, like, it doesn't mean like you're saying no, you don't value that person, but just like, you know what? Sometimes you got to say no to epic things also. Cause it's just like, I can't do that. I can't do it. It's all. not going to be there. I need to take, it's not my time right now. I'm in this window. Of exactly. Like, <laughs> I've been working to get to this window for so long where i'm at i've it's been on my schedule on how to conduct getting the records out and getting the tours done it has to get where i'm at to where i'm at right now is i can put in a few hours a day in the garden and do some farming stuff but i can also put a few hours a day in the studio and continue to make music i can be home more and be a better husband i can be more familiar to my cats like it's the kind of life i've been really looking forward to do and still go out and tour from time to time so i can pay my water bills right i'm so happy for you thanks Trisha here bringing you another brief interruption. If you've been following me at all, especially on Instagram in the stories, then you know that I am in love with my infrared sauna blanket. It's really kind of like a sleeping bag. That's what it looks like. You get in the thing. I wear long sleeve pants, long sleeve pants. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Long sleeve shirt, socks, keep water nearby, 
turn a show on and lay in the thing for about 45 to 60 minutes. And I just start sweating all the stress, the blah, the gunk, the pain out of my body. It is so healing. It also, I noticed within just a couple minutes of being in it, like I feel a serotonin boost. You say, they say that you sweat up to 600 calories out. That's not what I'm doing, but like, that's like, I'm not in there. Like, let me get rid of these calories. It's for me, it's mind body healing. It does really help my body. I suffer from fibromyalgia, whether I have exercise soreness right now, I'm about to get in it right after I hit you know, stop recording this because my body, I'm feeling a little bit like tired, cold, fatigue stuff, gives me a boost of energy. It also relaxes me. Go check out these infrared sauna blankets. Go to my link. It'll be in the show notes, but you can go to bit.ly backslash joy sauna. It'll take you right there and use my code joy75 for $75 off. They also offer an interest-free payment plan. That's how I got mine. It just makes that investment a little bit easier. I've had mine for two and a half years now, and I use it every week. Sometimes I use it once a week. Some days I use it five times a week, but it lasts and it is so healing. Feel free to DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman if you have any questions, because it's an investment. Well, I mean, it's it's like $499. So like, just to let you know, if you're like, what type of investment? That is an investment for me, but it's not like, it could be more. Um, and yeah, for what it does, it's amazing. Like I said, I've owned mine for two and a half years, going strong, still love it. Check it out. DM me, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash Joy Sana, or you can hit the link directly from the show notes to the podcast. All right, let's get back to the episode. I remember having conversations with you so long ago and like bringing up, hey, you know, so-and-so, they only tour in the summer when their kids are off school. And like like examples of like, you don't have to do it the way that everyone's making you do it. Right. Well, people weren't making me do it, but I wanted... How it's showing up. Yeah. But either way, long story short... I'm not saying I'm responsible. I'm just saying, like, I remember having conversations where, like, you know what? Long story short... I'm not happy this way, but I don't know what... I have finished up a lot of commitments in my life. I don't really work for anyone anymore. I don't employ anyone that works for me in the world in the way of management. Right. I mean, I I collaborate with people on a lot of things, in music and agriculture. Um, But... I don't employ anyone to be my boss anymore. And that is a thrill. And it's taken me a long time to get here and have this sort of privilege. And I, it doesn't sound like it's a long time because when we listen to this story and I go back to being 20 years old and I was always free and pursuing this music business, it was free. But in 2002, I signed both a management agreement and a record deal and so for 17 years, wow. for 17 years, I had, I had contractual obligations and there was no rules on what those looked like and how they were executed. But I always felt I owed somebody something for at least 17 years. Yeah. I owed them mm. hard work. I owed them a good product. I owed them my time. And to be free of all that right now is so cool. And the reason I'm telling you this is because Last summer, just as I'm finally getting to this season of where I'm at right now, is where I'm at right now, I, I called 
retired at 40. I'm not really retired, <laughs> but it was a goal of I, mine. I, yes, I've heard the retired at 40. For- it was a goal of mine to just finish up my obligations and reset, do something new at 40. Not not a new career necessarily, but just have a different experience, which I'm doing and I'm loving life, stretching more. I can almost do the splits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Last summer, I got approached by a friend to write a musical. It's like, oh my gosh. And my first thought was, nope, nope, not going to do it. No, thanks. Why do you think it was nope? Just like, no, I mean, I'm retired by 40. I don't have a contractual obligation. Yeah, this is not in alignment with my thing. So I'm not doing it. So they said, oh, well, you'd be really great at this. This is right up your alley. This is the... This is the kind of show it is. This is the kind of characters. I'm like, wow, you're right. It does sound great, but I am not interested. So a few months go by and yeah, it occasionally pops up into my brain. Like, could I do it? Yeah, I probably could. You know, maybe I should. Gosh, you know, Sarah Bareilles did it. And it's kind of like writing an album. Yeah, I know how to do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. So, so I said, you know what? Let me, let me try. Let me just write a couple songs and see what happens. So I did. And you know what? They liked the song. And things were moving along. I'm like, oh my gosh, this could be something. But you know what started to happen? Is my joy was diminishing. Mm. And I looked at my future, this sort of retired at 40, this plan I'd had to be completely free of uh, obligations, contractual obligations. I said, oh my gosh, I'm putting myself back into that situation where I have to write songs for a committee, a committee of producers and mm. writers to, be, to approve of this work that will someday become scrutinized on stage and it's going to take years to develop this to turn it into a stage show. And so I contacted them shortly after beginning and I said, you know what, this is not in alignment. I am so touched that you mm. considered me and that you really want me, but I have been planning to live a different life up until now. And it it is important for me to live that life. It is important for me to just have that experience. I said, there are other writers out there who are going to be more hungry for this musical than I am. Right. If I'm not 100%, you you shouldn't use me. And they were really kind and let me off the hook. And luckily, I never signed anything. I never told anybody about it. So there was no big public Jason's walking away. Yeah, I wasn't from this sure thing. if you were about to tell me, like, oh, and I have a musical coming out next year. I wasn't sure where that was going. <laughs> no, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my agents. I didn't tell anybody that worked for me because I didn't want to make a big deal of it. It was the same as going to college. I was feeling it out to see if this was really going to be something I wanted to yeah. do and if it was going to work Once. for me. Yes, if this was going to be something I wanted to do. Did I say want? You did, yeah. And I was applauding. Thanks. And I tried it and it was fun, but there were other projects I wanted to do. There's other music in me that I am exploring and there's other backyard projects like growing popcorn and all these things take time. And if I were working for someone else right now to write their musical, we wouldn't be having this conversation today because my schedule would be very different and I'd probably be a stress ball. Yeah. So I turned down an amazing opportunity But here's the thing. I've turned down lots of amazing opportunities because I know it won't be my last opportunity. Mm. However, if I die tomorrow, it will be my last opportunity. (laughs) But you would have died not being a stress ball. Exactly. (laughs) I died happy growing popcorn 
making sitting on the reggae tunes, drinking an entire Chemex by myself because my <laughs> podcast host chose not to drink any coffee. I, I drank a little. Drank bit. a little. It bit. was delicious. Some of the best coffee in the world, right here. <laughs> this is the port of Mocha from FYI, Yemen. FYI, if you didn't know, Jason Mraz is also growing coffee. Ha- but like, I don't even know how much he's growing coffee. Yeah. So that requires time and energy, and it's something I want to be closer to home for. Having gotten into agriculture over the last 10 years, being on the road is hard because I'm writing a lot of checks to produce this fruit and to go organic and to pay labor and to pay water bills and put in wells. I mean, huge, huge investment in agriculture. And to not even be home to enjoy it and to work with it, put my hands in the earth, was hard. It broke my heart. So this is another thing of who I am now. So good. I wanted to get to a place where I could work from home more and I could participate in you know, pulling weeds and mowing the lawn. Yeah. But and just also enjoy it because yeah, like so many people, it's could be working, working, working so hard because maybe one day I'm working on we're working on this good good goal and I'm working, working, working. And I believe in hard work and you need hard work to get to make the dreams happen, but you also have to be making sure you've got some joy in there to make it worth it. Yeah. And that that's also like the purpose of me having these conversations is that your joy, joy is not guaranteed by I made it. I got the record deal. I got the raise. I got the salary. We have bought this home. We are engaged. We have kids. None of that stuff guarantees joy. And so that it is something we got to make space for and claim every day. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to say no, even to some awesome yes, because there's there's a more important That's right. yes. I'm not going to compromise my joy for anybody. It's so funny. You said joy levels several times, and I have typed down, what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? Oh. <laughs> well, yoga. Yeah, we, are, that we could touched be, on yeah, it. Okay. So I was just like sort of like the, the synchronicity of that every time you said that, I was like, he's talking joy levels, and I didn't even put it in his mind. <laughs> For me, it's creativity. Anything from planting a tree, and that's creative because you have to figure out where you're going to put it. You have to dig that hole. You have to get the materials and kind of mix them all in the hole to amend the soil. You're going to have to mulch it. And then even once it's planted, you have to prune it. You have to feed it. I'm lost. I'm like, where are we talking about? Talking about the creativity of planting a tree. (laughs) Got it. You're seeing creativity in everything. The creativity of writing a haiku. I see creativity in everything. And that's what boosts my joy level. Yeah. Not just a plant. Like, I got to plant a tree. No. I get to plant a tree. And then after I do, like yesterday, I planted two fig trees, right? They're just little things. They're little organic fig trees, but they grow very fast. And within two or three years, they will double, even triple in size. And every year they start to put out more and more fruit, which is very exciting. So I planted these two trees and I'd had these little trees in my care for probably two weeks. Was at the lawn and garden store. And they were on, they were on, they were on the stoop, right? They're out front. I was like, look at these two little Aww, fig trees. Look at these little guys. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take them home. I'll find a spot for them. <laughs> and they sat there for about two weeks and water. I'm like, where the heck am I going to put these things? Like, I don't want to just 
put them out in the driveway. I want to put them somewhere I can see them. Maybe right outside my kitchen door. <laughs> you adopted some little pink trees. <laughs> yeah. And they're small. They're about, you know, two feet tall. They probably have three leaves on them. That's it. They're like, it's a twig. Anyway, after much contemplation and surveying of the landscape, which is all creative mind, I found two little spots right by my back door. And I thought, oh my gosh, how come I've never seen these spots before as perfect places for trees? I just assumed these spots were already taken or I couldn't fit a tree here or this is for walking or this is for driving. No, it was just a perspective thing. And once I planted them and see them, now I can visualize them as bigger trees and just being able to walk right out the back door in five years and pull a handful of figs. After you do your Tibetan rites. After I do my Tibetan rites, I can walk outside, I can pee on a jade bush, go back inside, brush my teeth while standing on one leg so that I can deepen my <laughs> deepen my stretch. Because you can do the full splits by then. Spin around, <laughs> do my stuff, go outside, eat a fig, or grab some figs and throw them in my smoothie. I mean. I'm living in paradise. You are. I'm living such a good life, all because of creativity. So if I continue to do creative stuff, which is something I've done ever since I was a teenager, I used to collect Reese's peanut butter cup wrappers. Not not go out of my way and find them, but if I ate a Reese's peanut butter cup, I would save the wrapper, the orange wrapper. It said Hershey's Reese's Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, the orange wrapper. It is, right? (laughs) And I don't know why. I didn't go out of my way to find them. I didn't like them specifically (laughs) that I would wear T-shirts that say Reese's. (laughs) It's just that my mom would buy these Costco bags of Reese's peanut butter cups and I would eat them. But instead of throwing the wrapper away, I'd save them. No other wrappers. Oh, I probably saved other weird stuff. So I have every hotel key I've ever been given. Yeah, I have every hotel key. I have bottle caps from probably the last four years of saving bottle caps. Because you're saving them for a creative project. Yeah, so it's they're in bins. I save corks. <laughs> they're in bins. Because I, and I just realized that one day... I, that you're a hoarder? I, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not a hoarder. It's organized hoarding. <laughs> It's keeping them out of the landfill. Okay, that's really oh, why it started. I'm saving the earth <laughs> for a creative mind because so let's say I get into birdhouse making, which I'm really excited about doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making birdhouses. I can use the plastic hotel keys as shingles on the birdhouse roof. What are you thinking about for the Reese's wrappers? Wait, do you still have those? No. no. Okay, thank you. But, but yeah, the hotel keys. For sure. Okay. Lots of creative purposes in that shelter. But I want to go back to the Reese's wrappers because I didn't know what was happening, <laughs> but I was, it was around. I didn't know why am I I know. I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't changed. I haven't changed. So I see the wrappers and <laughs> I'm watching like the Wonder Years and Doogie Howser. That's what's on. And I'm taping them all together and I end up making like a huge wallpaper slash quilt out of Reese's wrappers. It makes a huge poster. And my sister walked in and she's like, what are you doing? I said, 
I don't know. I'm taping these all together. Don't they look cool? She's like, you are stupid. You need to do your homework. That doesn't do anything. What you need to do is turn off your TV and start doing your homework. But for me, there was joy in that collecting and arranging of those pieces of paper, those orange wrappers and taping them together and seeing this larger thing manifest, this big poster, this weird thing that I made. And years later, I had a chance to go to Willie Nelson's house, his clubhouse, where he has this saloon out on this ghost town in, in Texas. And one of the walls is, no, zigzag rolling paper wrappers. Oh, like not the paper itself, but the the actual paper box, yeah. the little cardboard uh-huh. paper sleeve. Hundreds of them put together as a wallpaper on the wall, like taped together as well, or just what? Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, stitched together, Did he taped do together. It? No, he had an interior designer who built movie sets, <laughs> built this entire ghost town out on one of his properties, which was used in The Red-Headed Stranger, which was a movie he made in the 80s. So that town was built and still stands, and it's Willie's own private ghost town that no one is in, but he can drive his friends there, and you can play poker there, you can hang out. I mean, it is legit. It's its own ghost town. But your moment... So my moment is I'm I'm hanging (laughs) out at Willie's saloon, and there's a wall of zigzag wallpaper. And I remembered my Reese's Pieces wallpaper. I'm like, and I really appreciate that. I know what goes into that. And I know that it has everything to do with style, taste, art, creativity, collecting the creative mind, where this might end up. You know, there's an aesthetic, there's a purpose, you know, all, all of it matters, right? Yeah. It gave me joy to collect those things. Just the way it Gives me joy to come home with a stack of hotel keys. With <laughs> I have all my boarding passes. I have a stack of boarding no passes way. because one day I'll probably make a wallpaper of boarding passes, or one day I'm going to type poetry on them and made a make a book, or I don't know. But they're they're resources that aren't in the landfill that I get to use for zero yeah, waste projects. That's pretty amazing. So that's how I raise my joy level is staying creative on so many different levels. And you, do you still like not really watch much like TV, like whatever, like you're, I remember just always like, you were just always doing Doing something, which is a little bit, honestly, for me, I know at a point I felt bad about myself. Why? Because I was doing too much? Well, like we get home from a long ass tour in a time we might be living together. And I'm like, when I get home from tour, my routine is I stay in bed for the day and I'm going to watch like a whole series of something because I am spent. And you might have had one restful days, but you were pretty like doing stuff. And so for me, I had to be like, then be like, it's okay. Like that's Jason. Yeah. And I need rest and recovery and this like downtime. But like, do you like is that just part of your makeup or do you feel like you're not allowed to rest and you but you're just like I'm doing joy levels yeah my joy level is so much higher when I'm out there doing and creating if I'm watching TV unless it's an amazing show you got to really have something there's some really good shows these days the last time I had an amazing experience watching something. I was I was in the movie theater watching The Life of Pi, the recreation of that Yan Martell book. And I was on mushrooms, <laughs> so that helped. My joy level, my joy level was already pretty high. 
<laughs> but I cried because the movie was so beautiful and tickled all my fancies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is such a good movie. It's got everything I like. But I rarely have that experience when I'm watching something. The first episode of like season three of Chef's Table is great, where they're they're talking to the girl who started Milk, that, that dessert oh, company in New York City. I didn't know that was a female. It's a woman, yeah. She, she kind of came up with cereal milk as a way to as to use in her cooking by soaking cereal in milk and then Create. And then straining the cereal out, so then you have flavored sweet milk, <laughs> and then you use that milk to make your muffins and your cakes and cookies and stuff. Then it has that essence of cornflakes or whatever. Anyway, her episode makes me cry. No mushrooms involved. No mushrooms, <laughs> just cereal. I love cereal. <laughs> so, but do you just think that that's part of your makeup? Though? My makeup. I'm I'm not easily entertained if I just sit down and watch something, yeah. or if I go to a concert, I'm not easily entertained. I'd rather be doing it. Right, yeah. and that's what I think. That I just wanted to bring that up because I now see that in you. But I think for like I said, I, I, there was at one point that I was like, oh, is there something wrong with me? Like I'm lazy or I'm this. But I was like, no, like I need this recovery day, and I've been very vocal. Of, like in saying like, hey, people, you need to rest. You need to like, and not maybe everybody. Well, and perhaps you get rest in different ways. I'm not saying for everybody to sit down and watch right Netflix like all day long, but just like, oh, okay. Like there's times where like, I'm like, I just need to chill. And, but I felt like I should be doing stuff because he is. Oh, no. <laughs> and then again, like just listening to yourself. But yeah, yeah you're just such a like doer. Um, I've done a lot. I've gotten better, you know, having the little yoga practice in the morning and then I do stretch at night before I go to bed. That's a way for me to like really wind things down. Is that, yeah, has that been then a problem? Like, yeah, does that affect sleeping or something because it had ever because of your like affects, doer mind? It affects sleeping. Yeah, doing stuff. Or this need to feed creativity. The last couple of weeks has been insane. Like I would do an eight hour day on the farm, all kinds of stuff whether it's pruning trees planting things mowing weeding go have dinner and then where a normal person should get on the couch with his wife <laughs> and watch a movie i would then go into the studio from 8 or 9 p.m and do another eight hour shift all night until the sun comes up and tweak on music and write songs and record them and just to see what can come of it get four hours of sleep and then start all over again. I don't know what it is, but I'm in a really high productive season right now. Well, that's too, That's good to notice too. Like then there's like different seasons. There is seasons, right? yes. And we've learned that. And then has that been useful to be like, okay, what's... Very. Oh, like right now, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like I'm just more into that it's and not spring. force it. Uh, honestly, I've been... If I look at earth pace and, and it being spring right now, I've been very productive. Like winter's finally over. We had a huge rain over winter and things are growing fierce. So that means we have to have extra hours in the field to manage all the weeds coming up, manage all the, there's a lot of invasive and noxious weeds that are taking over our farm that we don't want. So managing those things takes a lot of time and effort. Ideas, brewing, um, people wanting to collaborate. If I want music next year, I got to write it this year. Yeah. So I've just been really inspired to do all those things. However, if you back up a season, winter, winter was rough for me. 
it was cold. Uh, we had a lot of rain. I couldn't get outside as much. I toured from Thanksgiving up to Christmas, which was actually really challenging. Mm-hmm. It turned out, I don't know what happened. There was, I wanted to be more productive than I was in January. So I beat myself up a little bit, but I, yeah. but then I kept telling myself, Hey, it's winter. Nobody works that hard in winter. Nature doesn't work yeah, that hard like in winter. Slow down. Yeah. Hibernation. Be okay with that. So there were a few times where I noticed myself, my joy level dropping or getting a little sad, which if I'd have made that mean something, I that could have continued on to become more of a depressing experience. But I reminded myself, it's just winter. Don't work so hard. Relax. It's okay to sit and watch the movie with your wife. I was like, what'd you do to relax? <laughs> Build a fire. You know, help your wife stay warm. It's winter for her too. You know, let's don't forget to be together. Don't just work all the time. So now that spring is up and the weather's nice and I'm taking advantage of this high productive season. But summer for me is going to be touring. So I won't have as many hours here on the land. And tour is a totally different season. It's a different schedule. And I actually sleep a lot on tour because I have a very strict routine. Yeah to stay healthy, to keep my voice. And then plus with traveling and you're in different cities, you have less obligations. So I know I can get eight to 10 hours of sleep on tour and love life. (laughs) I can watch movies in a hotel room if I'm stuck in some city that I don't want to explore. Um, I I wrote this thing recently and it's been making me think a lot about different areas of my life. And I wanted to ask if where you can apply it in your own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. That could apply to your own life yeah. right now. Like for me, it's like, oh, sleeping in is easier, but maybe that's not best for me because I feel better when I, I also, I don't do the Tibetan rites, but I get up and do yoga or like what is easier for me is to say yes, but I actually want to say no or like. Yeah. What is easiest? So I live in San Diego and a lot of my work is in Los Angeles or my meetings are in Los Angeles, charity events, TV shows, etc. What is easiest for me would be to not go to Los Angeles. Mm. I don't like going to Los Angeles. The traffic sucks. It's congested. Mm-hmm. But it is best for me to go. Recently, I was going up for a charity event. I did not want to go. It would have been so easy to not go, yeah. to just say, you know what? It's a charity event. I'm not getting paid to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go. It's easier for me to stay home. But I know that charity events especially are best for me because you get to meet volunteers. How you feel How at them. you feel. Oh, my gosh. Talk about joy level. Yeah. Doing good equals feeling good. When I leave from a charity event, they're busier than my normal events because people have access to you and they want to talk to you and everybody wants to take your picture. Which could be feel like more work or overwhelming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it can. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it's easier to stay home because you don't have to deal with the city. You don't have to deal with anything. Right. I mean, home is a farm. I don't deal with anybody hardly. But it is best for me to actually go out because that's how I learn. I learn from and I'm inspired by it. It's like, is it remind you like, yeah. oh, this is why this I is write why. those songs. Yes. <laughs> this is who the songs serve. The yeah. songs, songs don't serve my cat <laughs> and their cat food. 
my song, my cats don't give a shit <laughs> about my songs. I write songs because they bring me joy, but then yeah, I, put I put them, them out, out in the world, hoping that they make somebody else happy too. And I really get to see that when I show up, when I go do the promotion, or when I go especially to those charity events. Okay, I only have like two more things. There's just going to be one, but since you brought that up. Speaking of, so let's say you're out in public, maybe at your own charity event, and these people are saying hi, but more so like you went into Cafe Gratitude to get food, and then there's people there that recognize you and see you and want to have conversations with you. Mm -hmm. I bet I know that a lot of times you're just wanting to be a private person going to get food. Do you have to think about like, I'm Jason Mraz walking into this restaurant and I am prepared for people to want to talk to me. How do you deal with that? Or like, is there ways, you know what I mean? Or just like talking about that in general, like that's a part of your life that you may be recognized, you may not. I take it experience by experience. I take it interaction by interaction. I I can't walk into a room and go, they're going to know me here because I'm part owner of Cafe Gratitude. I mentioned Cafe Gratitude because most times I'm guessing people will approach you. And most employees don't know who I am, period, or know that I have an ownership. Yeah. So they don't give me my employee discount or my investor discount. And I don't ask for it. I don't say, oh, by the way, I get a partner discount. <laughs> I don't do that. So I don't do that when I walk in anywhere and say, people are going to know me. I don't do this. So I do it interaction by interaction. And if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I was just listening to your music, or I'm familiar with your music, or aren't you, Jason? I think I've heard your songs. Whatever the case, I take it interaction by interaction. I say this because occasionally there'll be an interaction that's annoying. Yeah. Most of the time, people are so sweet, and they just want to have a positive experience or get some sort of confirmation on something. And even if you're in a space of, I don't really want to talk to you, or do you now, I'm just like, I'm entering public, so I'm prepared to be okay. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, because like, we're all humans, that sometimes you're just like, I'm just running in to get food and out. Like, I don't want to talk to people, and that you're also that human, but also people might recognize you. I don't want to talk to people that usually, then I'm usually not in public, right? Like, or if I'm just going in to get something to eat, I'm still being in public. I know that I'm going to have to interact with the person behind the counter and potentially people in there. I don't really think of my fame until someone else brings it up. And then I go, oh, yeah. And for me, it's perfectly understandable because I have promoted myself so much that I know that there is some level of notoriety somewhere. But I also know that I don't know everybody in that room. I don't know everybody on the New York subway. I don't know if I'm standing next to the world's greatest violin player or the person who wrote the next biggest screenplay. I have no idea. So I have to assume... I'm in a situation like nobody knows if I am a broke college kid coming in here to get a smoothie or this kid is a superstar, he's a millionaire and he's coming in here to get a smoothie. None of that matters, right? Until I have an interaction with someone. The ones that annoy me are... Hey, man, should I know you? Right, where they're like, they know you, but they're just trying to get a play. I got to get a picture for the girls in my office, or I got to get a picture of you for uh, such and such. I don't know who you are, but I know somebody does. Like, every, every now and then there's a something 
And do you feel like they actually do know and they're just trying to be weird or that they're just somebody like, somebody people seem to be recognizing you, so I'm going to need to take advantage of that? It's a little of that. Yeah. It's like, all right, you know, I'm not, I don't want to just be a sighting. I'd rather be a someone. You know, does that make sense? I don't want to just be, you look familiar. Should I know you? I was like, well, if you don't know me, then you you shouldn't know me. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who I am. I'm because at this moment, I'm in here to buy a smoothie. I'm not here to sell my CDs. Yeah. So I'm not going to go out of my way to do a song and dance for you. If you, I don't know. That's why I say I just have to take it interaction by interaction. Well, what I was just saying too, like not, it's like, I'm guessing that, yeah, sometimes it might be like, oh no, I'm, you might go somewhere where more people are recognizing you, whether it's an airport or a certain restaurant or something. And you're just like, I was just hoping to have a conversation with this person. I don't want to turn it into photos. But people keep coming up to me. And so like that, that's a challenging thing to navigate because you're like, of course, you want to appreciate these people that appreciate you. But you're also just here to do that. So like, how have you been able to navigate? Or do you wish like, like you had a piece of paper to like hand to people to be like, hi, I'm so grateful for your attention. But that's such a move, I think if I had a card, it was like, yes, you we met and here's a thing. So you're just like, all right, this is my life. And if all these people are coming up to me, I'm going to have to greet them. Or do you have a certain like, I'm just going to have to be like, hey, I'm trying to have food. And you just have to turn that on sometimes and be okay with. Exactly. I do it interaction by interaction. And if I'm running late, I just say, I apologize. I don't have time for a picture if that's what they're seeking. Have you ever had people be upset with how you're receiving them? Because you know, just like they're wanting more and you're just like, I need to be here. Occasionally, like after a show, if, you know, you come out of the theater, it's almost midnight, you get on the bus, but there's still 30 people outside and they all want a picture or they want to do, they want to meet you. They want to do something. And I just don't have the capacity anymore to have conversations and even though I know it's going to be a lot of flattery out there, just listening to people tell you positive things, I, I just don't have the energy. Yeah. And I know that because I've lived that and I've seen that. But sure. I don't know if people out there realize that. Like it's long ass days and a lot of work. And as much as they want to like acknowledge you and have that conversation, that they're also just like, I'm so drained and I need, I can't even talk. Yeah. And, and then that can actually turn. People outside can go from being your biggest fan yeah. to start and that, cursing you yeah. from outside. Like, we've been out here for an hour. Get out of here, you asshole. So you can turn to like your their favorite person in the world. Yeah, to, to your least favorite. To, and I, I'm like, how did you just have to be like, okay, I'm you know, taking it myself. And like, yeah. did that used to have to weigh anymore? Or? None of my business what people think of me. Bringing it back. None of my business. All right. Even when they're being very loud. <laughs> it sucks. That sucks when people have that experience. And so that's also, it's just like remembering like, man, you probably like, that would be amazing if you could have one-on-one connections people with all those people, but you had a full day and a full life and of all these things and that. Yeah. It's just, that's a hard thing when people, it's like, you can understand the disappointment, but obviously not the anger. And that, uh, we're bringing it back to like, not bringing it back. We didn't talk about it, but expectations versus possibilities that those people waiting in line, they have the expectation. I'm waiting here by the bus, so I'm going to meet them, but they needed to have the possibility. Possibility. Jason Mraz is going to take a picture with me. 
or he's I'm not he's gonna walk by and I got really close to him. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of possibilities. That. So seeing possibilities. Yeah. Final thing. I came here with keychains and asked you to pick one and you picked so fucking grateful. So fucking grateful. Why that one speak to you? What's your... So fucking grateful because I still feel like that kid who collected Reese's wrappers. <laughs> I still feel like I'm 18 years old. Like, well, you are the guy that's still collecting I know, I'm this. still hoarding <laughs> dumb things. To uh, create epic creations. That's right. So I still feel like that kid. And all along this journey, I've seen other people who are more talented, uh, funnier, whatever, more better, different, right, than me. That I think they should have these, they should have this experience. They should Mm -hmm. have these paydays. They should have these luxuries. They should see all seven continents the way I've seen all seven continents. So I, I, I'm able to stand in my own backyard, which is this ever-changing garden season after season. I just feel so grateful. Like, really? I have a garden? You know, I've, I, don't I have, I have a backyard. I have a house all because I followed my mm-hmm. joy and, and stayed creative. I am so fucking grateful. I am so grateful. Like I come home from tour and I cry, Be- not because I'm sad or exhausted, yeah. but because a tour was so much fun, but then I get to come home and live here. This place is so beautiful that I am so overwhelmed. Like I get to, this is where I get to spend my time. I get to be here. And what is my purpose here to, to see that trees are healthy, that food grows and that I stay creative and continue to serve the child in me that wants to just collect things and make things. So grateful. So grateful. So fucking grateful. (laughs) And grateful to teachers, mentors, peers, people who, who guided me here. Because where I stand today isn't the detailed dream of a child. Parts of it is. My way of being. My interests are there. But what it looks like, where I live, who I work with, how I work, the resources that I have, those are details that got added thanks to the people I partnered with through the years, the friendships I made, the business collaborations, the... um, the teachers that I met, whether you were an astrologer or a yoga teacher or a manager or a farmer, a parent, an artist, all became teachers to me, mentors to me that guided me to be the kind of man I am today. So another reason I am so fucking grateful <laughs> because when I was 21, I also got introduced to crystal meth. Which for someone who likes to do a lot of things, <laughs> that will double down on how much you get done. But it also comes with great risk and is a terrible thing to do. So what I'm saying is I could have also been influenced to go down that path. I could have hung out with the wrong crowd and ended up in a very 
different place. So I am so fucking grateful that the people that I did meet guided me away from those things and guided me more towards sustainable joy that and and joy and inner peace that's cultivated within, not dependent on crystal meth, not dependent <laughs> on marijuana, not dependent on an audience's applause, yeah. not dependent on a paycheck. Um, so fucking grateful that I was given the opportunities I was given and supported by the people that supported me to, to help me be who I am. I love you, Jason. Yeah, I love you too, Trisha. Thanks, Thanks. for having this conversation with this me. This fun. And sharing so many events and journeys of our lives Oh my together. goodness, still going. And congrats on your new adventure in podcasting. Thank you. It's very exciting. I think you have a lot of general intrigue is that the word you're you're um Interest? inquisitive mm, yeah <laughs> as uh, yeah as as soon as i open the car door like, today and i'm asking five yeah. questions he goes why are you asking so many questions oh my gosh every time i see trish like what are you doing and i was like i don't even know i sometimes ask questions and then i go i you don't need to answer that i don't even know why i would need to know that <laughs> right. i'm very interested Fair. So I'm happy to be talking with epic people. Yeah, you're like doing you. great. All right. Okay, wait, one last thing though. What are you claiming for yourself? What am I claiming? Well, where I am today is the result of claiming it. I claimed yeah. it. I claimed my life. Uh, every step of the way, you have to reclaim it, I think. Yeah. Um, There's never one. One and done. Oh. Like when I moved to California, I had to claim it. It was like, I'm claiming being a starving artist. I'm claiming it. I don't care what I make and where I sleep. The art is worth it. I'm doing it. And it felt so good to cl just claim that because it didn't feel like a failure. Yeah. Then when I got asked to have a record deal, you know, at first it's scary, but I think, you know what? I'm going to claim it. I'm going to be yes. that guy. I'm going to get it. And I realized early on that anybody can get a record deal. You really can. What you do with it is what matters. The record company is not going to do shit. They'll help you with the resources, but you got to make that art. So when I got signed, I, I claimed it. I said, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to write. I'm going to write. I'm going to write. I'm going to make the best stuff I can possibly make so that I can use this record deal to the best of my abilities, to the, you know, et cetera. So reclaiming it, reclaiming it. Every time there's a tour, you got to reclaim it. This is... You know, I'm going to be gone for 10 months. I got to claim it. This is my suitcase. Yeah. When my suitcase went missing for a year, I had to claim that. You know? Claiming it. I, I lost the suitcase. That was an amazing story. I had to claim. I had to file a claim. <laughs> what was in it? Oh, come up with other stuff. A year later, we get a phone call from a hotel that's like, we have a suitcase it came here. Back totally intact, right? Totally. And I had just done my <laughs> laundry later. right before yes. that and put in a lavender so smell good satchel. Everything was pressed and it smelled like lavender. It was amazing. It took 14 months by the time it got back to my possession. So, anyway, I claim it, claim, 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 claim. Where I am now is a result of claiming that I would. Um, just free myself up from some ties, finish some deals, 
um, start a new venture with my wife, this little family farm business, go into business with my friends for, of 20 years, where instead of peddling CDs and music, we're peddling avocados and we're starting to grow coffee and bananas and building relationships with local grocers and restaurants and cafes, which is really rewarding uh, because we love eating locally, serving locally, and I have this ability to grow food and get it, sell it locally, which is very, very cool. So I'm claiming this life right now. I'm claiming, I don't know, a rebirth, a reset. Can you claim something and say, I don't know, in the same sentence? I'm claiming, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, it's like claiming that you're good with the I don't know, maybe, of what's next. Is that what you mean? Of like, or what's, I don't know. Uh, Well, it's also the I don't know what I'm getting from that. Claiming is like, that you're good, that you're fulfilled, that you're yeah. at peace with your life and your choices. Yeah, I'm claiming contentment. Yes. I really perfect. am. There we, we, got, we got into the word contentment. Claiming content. <laughs> I am content, yo. Yes. I My days are full. My days are full. If you want to know more about Jason Mraz, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on social media very much. But he's I do, doing I do have a social media manager, uh, a manager of communication who helps encourage me to post things and share my life because eventually I will be having to go to market with my fruit. I will be having to go to market with future music, you know, and all that stuff requires a bit of promotion. I think social media is a beautiful thing. It's whatever you put into it. So if you, you know, you might not be super into it, but you're still the presence. It's just that yeah, it's like to keep connection. I see it as a yeah. great place for connection and inspiration. And if you're yeah. not getting that from it, then change the yeah. way you're for accessing it. I see it as a really valuable way to stay in touch with your family and your friends because you can show people your day-to-day life. I can see what my nieces and nephews are doing. I see what my sister's doing. I see the pictures that my mom takes. You know, it's really cool stuff. For the promotional aspect, you know, I don't need to be on it 24 7 to promote who I am. I think I've done a good job with that all the way back to handing out postcards yes. 20 which, years ago. Which at you're my bringing back shows. with your avocados. Apparently. Exactly. Did you make it through the whole thing? Are you still with me? How many times did you pause it? Did you listen all the way through? Let me know. DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman or at Claimant Podcast. Why not? Fun stuff. You know what? So, yeah, we recorded that podcast over two years ago. And I will still, people will still say like they remember parts of that episode. You know, I think the big thing about being a beginner um, is a big one. So I'm stoked that I'm resharing this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, Hit up my shop, shop shop.yourjoyologist.com. Again, subscribe, leave a review. If you screenshot your review and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com, I'll send you a gift from the product line. Tell me that you listened. Share the episode. Tag me at underscore Trisha Huffman, at Claimant Podcast, at Jason underscore Mraz. You can check out to see if Jason is coming to a town nor you at drusenmorales.com. And um, thank you for listening. Whether this is the first time or you've been with me for a few or all of them, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. For the final thought, I want you to name right now for yourself, what do you appreciate about yourself? 
let yourself at least name one thing off, but just, you know, start naming things. What do you appreciate about yourself? Ah, <sighs> you're awesome. Own your awesome.